Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to, wait, what? A comics and pop culture podcast coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. Today, Graham McMillan and I return from a week off to discuss San Diego Comic-Con 2018. Graham attended it, I shunned it, and now it's time to talk about it. We cover the biggest attractions, the hottest news from on and off the con floor, and oh so much more. Comments on this episode are available at waitwhatpodcast.com. Send us your questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Jeff Lesser! Graham McMillan, hello! Hello, welcome to the hottest place in the world. Oh no, <laughs> of course. Uh, uh, let, me, let me look at what temperature it apparently is right now. It's apparently 88 degrees. I'm going to say that in my office it's, it's warm, but yeah, it's, it's warm. Oh my god, that sounds that sounds that sounds a little brutal. That sounds a little brutal. Was it uh, was it cooler in San Diego as predicted? Yes, yes, significantly so. Oh my god, it was surreal that way. Mm. Um, yeah, it was. It wasn't overcast. Remember, I, I think I was telling you before that it was supposed to be like overcasting, like you know, fifteen degrees cooler, if not more. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like in some cases, twenty degrees cooler. And it was not overcast, and I remember being grumpy, like maybe the Thursday being like, "No, it's overcast. What the fuck is this?" <laughs> and then I remember, wait, but it's only high seventies, and like it's high nineties back in Portland, right? <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, I am sorry. Hopefully, uh, hopefully it will cool down as we talk, uh, and I don't know, maybe we'll have a shortish episode so that. Well, we we'll, so that, cool that yes. never happens. No, it we never always, does. We it always say does. that, and yeah. yet, you know, reality just does, does not does not follow through. We always <laughs> have the best intentions. Although normally it's in a Baxter building, but we talk before we start recording. Yes, and we're like, oh, we oh, we didn't like these comics. This one's going to be a really short one. And like two and a half hours later, we're like, and then on to the second issue. Totally true. It's totally true. Yeah, the pacing thing. I feel like you know maybe for the future Baxter buildings we can get a chess clock or something or you know a timer. <laughs> like, just... Okay, we've done an issue. It's, it's twenty minutes. We've got to move on. Yeah, exactly. Did we do that one episode. Wasn't that one episode where I was like weirdly stickler and I was like, Jeff, shut up. Oh yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's every episode of Baxter Building basically. I, but I, I, I feel yeah, like yeah. there was one episode where like I went into it like really dramatically being like, fuck this shit. It's, yes. Yeah, yeah, we're yeah. doing this super quickly, like we're doing this regimented. Yeah. And I did like it, 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 it fell apart. Of course it did. <laughs> of course it did. Of course it did because you're prepared with me. Ah, no, I always worry a little bit like, when you mark off this, march off to San Diego where there's like literally thousands of potential podcasting partners that you might be better suited for for you. It's like. Mm-mm-mm. You know what I, I realized I forgot to do for San Diego? I forgot to, like, I was on the 2000 podcast just recently. Oh, really? Yeah, I really was. Huh. Um, I was on the, the Arthur Ranson episode. There's, there was an Arthur Ranson roundtable. And it's it's me and John Freeman and, oh God, I can't remember the, the woman's name, uh, of, like, a friend of Arthur Ranson's. Wow. Uh, and we're talking about Arthur Ranson, like, our, our appreciation of Arthur Ranson. It, 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 was, it, was, it was really fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I completely forgot because it it actually went up on our skip week. 
Oh, of course. Shoot. I, 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 I didn't know it was going up in advance. Like, I just knew we recorded it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I remember being like, I should, like, it's a script week. I should tell people. And then, you know, utterly forgot. Well, send us, send me the link and I'll get it in the show notes. It's somewhere on the tooth. Uh, <laughs> I think I'm going to be on another episode because I was on the 2000D panel in San Diego and they recorded that. Wow. Look at you. Graham McMillan, Mr. 2000 AD. Right? Mm-hmm. I was also on the Treasury of British Comics panel, so I really am Mr. 2000 AD. Wow. Uh, but I know, because I talked to, to Mike Mulcher uh, from Rebellion afterwards, that apparently the recording of that was bad, so they can't use it. Like, oh, they decided it's not good. Yeah, I'm sorry. To hear uh, that. And I also recorded it myself, and my sound quality is so bad <laughs> that you can't hear, like, half of the people on the panel. Oh, shit. Was well, my recorder's right beside me and Zach Davison, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you can hear us fine, mm-hmm. but you can't hear like Rosie Knight or Mike Mulcher at all. Oh man! You just hear people going, <laughs> and then the audience is like, <laughs> <laughs> "Well, Graham, since we're talking about this and we're podcasting, and you know we're known to cover the news, why don't you, uh, why don't you, why don't you give us a little San Diego report?" For yourself, oh, how did it go? And what, I guess what, what you, notable stories are. It was it was a really it was a fascinating show. It was the busiest San Diego I think I've ever had. Mm-hmm. Um, like really dramatically busy. I didn't get to do the show floor until Sunday. Wow, it was that busy. Um, there were a lot of. For me, at least, there were a lot of like meetings that weren't necessarily like interviews or or you know things that I was reporting or can report mm-hmm. but a lot of like the record things mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there was a lot of those especially on Saturday mm-hmm. um, but it was it was it was really busy it was really good mm-hmm. I told you before we started recording that I had like a 36 hour period that was just nuts mm-hmm. uh, I'll give you like the short version <laughs> and then I'll give you the longer version when we're not recording so I can, I can give you all the off the record stuff as well but on the Friday evening was the Eisners, and I was a, one of the judging panel for the Eisners this year. Right. Did you guys have a special table you got to sit at? Yes. That's awesome. We did. I'd like to put a photograph of us up on the screen. Oh, my God. Uh. Uh, and it's super, like, it's super weird. It's very enjoyable, but super weird to be there. And you don't know who's won because, like, the, the judges select the, the nominees, and then, then everyone votes on them. But it's super funny because I had my favorites within those nominees. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't like my favorites, but I was like, yes, I like standing ovation. <laughs> <laughs> like, you could have told who my favorites were by watching the table and watching my reaction. That's so funny. Was that the same with everyone else, or was everyone else, was, was that sort of a, a, a oh, special McMillan was much more control than me. It oh. was very me. That's very funny. It was, uh, yeah, it was me and, and uh, Nora Serrano, who's another judge. Like, the two of us had the worst poker faces. <laughs> and we were also sat next to each other. And so someone would win and we'd be like, yeah, they, they deserved it. Like, that, that's a good choice. Or like, nah, white to the wrong person. <laughs> we were so terrible that way. Um, so that was really surreal. But more surreal is at the end of that, um, like, it, there's, there's a reception. So people are just, like, talking. First of all, Brian Hibbs was there. Oh, hey. What? Super, like, I didn't know he was there. Mm-hmm. He went in because his kid is 14 years old, and it was his kid's first San Diego. Oh, my God. That's so, so Brian's great. there. Like, I remember his kid being born, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
It's like, oh, God, like, you're a person now. Like, I'm talking to him, and I'm like, oh, you're a person. This is really messing me up. Oh, yeah. God. Yeah, yeah. Um, but also, Paul Levitz was talking to me. Oh, really? I, Jeff, you know my love of Paul Levitz's 1980s Legion of Superheroes, yeah, right? Indeed, I do. Like, it, it, it's not overstating it to say that, like, that's an integral comic to me. Mm-hmm. Like, that's one of my core comics. And so talking to Paul Evans for like half an hour and him being like, I know your work. And, and I was having like this peer to peer conversation mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. was really surreal. That's amazing. It was really genuinely surreal. That's so great. Um, and even more surreal is, I don't know if you've ever met Douglas Walk, but Paul Levis and Douglas Walk, like, I wouldn't be surprised if Douglas is going to grow into being Paul Levitz. That's really funny. Really? They, they have the same way of speaking, and they actually audibly sound similar. Huh. Wow. And so, the, like, the rare moments where I was like, I kept wanting to be like, have you met Douglas Hulk? Do you know Douglas? Because, like, you two should meet. This is weird. Um, so that happens on Friday night. Saturday, I'm doing the 2008 panel. Mm-hmm. And also on the 2008 panel is uh, Dave Gibbons. Maybe you've heard of Dave Gibbons, Jeff. He rings a bell. Rings a bell. He he did something for. He, he did he was, something, right? You know. Yeah. He, like he, I'm sure he's done something interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm worried about uh, how does 2008 get get new creators in? Mm-hmm. And I essentially make the point of like 2008 has a, literally has a format to get new creators in. It's the future shocks. It's the, it's the time twisters. Mm-hmm. And also the way 2008 works is like basically it makes stars and stars move on. And so there's there's a need to get new creators in. It's a constantly like it's a structure to create to bring new creators in. Yeah. Dave Gomez is like I've never thought of that. Wow. Like you've changed the way that I think about 2008. And again, fucking Dave Gibbons. Yeah. Right. Right. And then after the panel, it's like, you know, that was really great. Like, again, Dave Gibbons. Right? <laughs> that evening, I'm, I'm out for dinner, uh, with a publisher. Mm-hmm. I won't say who. Ooh. Um, but it's, it's like, a, it's a, uh, it's basically like a, I, I know the publisher. Um, and it's like the publisher is going, hey, we're bringing some creators out. We're also bringing some journalists out. Um, do, do you want to, do you want to come? And I was like, sure, this would be great. Uh, and who am I sitting next to? Fucking Scott McCloud. Hey! So me and Scott McCloud shooting the shit for half an hour about how comics work. And Scott McCloud making notes on what I'm saying, Jeff. Really? Good lord. That's fabulous, Graham. But you see what I'm saying about this was just a really, like, that was a really surreal, like, period. Mm-hmm. Where I was just like, everything is odd. <laughs> like everything is really strange. This show, this is weird. Wow, this is really strange. I don't know how to deal with this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, it was great, but it was, it was like there was a lot of that going on. Um, there was the, and I think this has been reported. There was the DC press event on Friday, which was the Tom King yacht, which yeah. was a guided meditation. <laughs> oh, good. Okay. <laughs> um. I, I'm fairly sure this has come out. I don't think I'm saying anything that I shouldn't say because I think this has all been reported. But we 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 are told to show up mm-hmm. uh, at the yacht, and and we did the yacht last year for the Jeff Johns thing, and it was an evening event, and we all went on the yacht, and the yacht sails around, mm-hmm. and that was the deal. Basically, get on the yacht sails. That's when they do their presentation. The yacht comes back. Everyone's done. And they're like, we're not sailing on the yacht. We're just we have the yacht. And everyone's like, that's 
great, whatever. Like, you know, we, some of us have to leave early anyway. And we get on board. And they're being really, not cagey, but being sort of like, oh, I just wait until you get on the yard. <laughs> and we're all like, oh, okay, sure. And they go, um, we're taking you to Sanctuary. And we're like, okay, what does that mean? What this means is we get on the yacht and uh, they take our, our bags away from us. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, what size are you? Oh, here's our, here's a bathrobe. <laughs> so we put bathrobes like, over our clothes. Wow. And then to the deck of the yacht where they have, they've set up, uh, uh, like lots of white cushions on the floor. And then like a stall at the front. And we all go and we are sitting on the floor, cross-legged, and then like a wind chime goes. And this voiceover is like, close your eyes, find your happy place. Holy God. Which is just utterly surreal. And then Tom, uh, Tom King comes out. I always said Tom Cruise, I've got Mission Impossible in the brain apparently. Uh, Tom King comes out. And, and like does his, his like, this is what Heroes in Crisis is, you know, this, this is why it exists this is how it came about uh, and then at the end of that he's sitting there as well as it goes bong and then it's like close your eyes you're now you know you're getting ready to leave sanctuary and it was just like the most surreal thing to see all these journalists actually like genuinely get into it that's great like everyone really like bowing their heads mm-hmm. like closing their eyes trying to find their happy place um, and maybe because it's me and maybe because like I'm really self-conscious just about this sort of thing right but I swear to god I smiled and looked down and my first thing was like oh I can feel it's moving on the art oh no I'm wobbling (laughs) (laughs) Uh, that's really funny how a really really very strange very very odd choice for a, a promotional event I have to say well I yeah, no, like, they're trying to make it as in, like, uh, it's a calm place, sanctuary is a calm place, where, like, you find, it's therapy, you find your, your calm center, mm-hmm. you know, I think they're trying to do that, mm-hmm. um, but it was also, it's just a very surreal thing to go to, and it's a very surreal thing to go to, like, first thing in the morning, because it does actually impact your mood a bit, mm-hmm. so you go from that into the into the, the show floor, where there's, like, 150,000 people again. Mm-hmm. You do have this moment of like, oh, I'm not psychically prepared anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, where you're like, oh shit, I have to take a minute. I have to take a minute. I've just remembered I'm at Comic Con, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. which is a real surprise thing. Yeah, it was it was it was a, a weird good show. Well, so uh, to play devil's advocate for a little bit, I'm not sure. I don't feel like it's. It sounds like it was a great show for you. I don't know if there were the sort of, and it, which is fine if not, sort of the same degree of nationwide heat that Comic Con sometimes has. And oh no, I I'm gonna say like news wise, it was a very, it was actually a very quiet show. Yeah, that and that that was kind of my point. Is is like I'm not really, I didn't get much of a strong sense walking away from it of like, oh hey, here's the the breakout bit of. Comic news or comic announcements. Well, I'm super, I'm super curious. For someone who wasn't there, was there a breakout piece of news for you? I like actually from the show itself. So, so of course, I may not necessarily be the best person to to ask. In fact, I'm I'm not because I have a tendency not really to, as you know, 
follow a lot of the news sites and things. So it's kind of more of a, if something sort of pings at some national level, um, uh, it, you know, I might I might notice it, or Edie might bring it up to me, or like what happens on Twitter. Well, like what's mentioned on Twitter. So mm-hmm. the the strongest things that I really sort of got this sense of were, and and it had a very very pared down sense. Were of course some of the media stuff, which normally gets a a lot of coverage, but. You know, the DC drop trailers for Shazam and Aquaman. There was the trailer for the Godzilla King of the Monsters. Uh, There was a lot of buzz about um, Wonder Woman 1984, but I don't think they released the... the... There there was no footage released. Yeah. That was was just for the the Hall H people. And the thing that I think is interesting is, is, although I think that that was, on the one hand, a, a good choice, and I respect it, considering how far away the production is. I think oh, that they've they, only they've only been shooting for three weeks. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. But that was the one where there was enough of a murmur that I think that if they had had something, uh, and it's perfectly understandable that they didn't. I think that might have been the breakout piece. I kind of feel like on Twitter, what I saw were there were a lot of people, um, well, a lot. There were people that were excited. It, it was usually boiled down to people giving their take on the DC um, trailers, and uh, I want to say the news that the Clone Wars is coming back for a new season. So I feel like I feel like that was sort of quote unquote the news that I took away from from San Diego. And then I'm trying to think on the comics front, it was sort of like looking at the Eisner stuff, but I, I sort of feel almost like some of the news that came out, like, I guess maybe the Buffy reboot, I don't know if that was announced at uh, at Comic-Con or not. I thought it dropped it, it, beforehand. It dropped during Comic-Con. I don't know if it dropped at Comic-Con. Mm. See, <coughs> excuse me, the weird thing that happens at Comic-Con is news drops, and it's hard to tell what happens at Comic-Con and what happens during Comic-Con. Like, right. for example, James Gunn getting fired by Disney. Right. Okay. Right. Which is didn't the huge story. Comic-Con. Exactly. Right. right. But mm-hmm. it didn't happen at Comic-Con. Yeah. But at the time, it kind of did. James Gunn yeah. was in San Diego. James Gunn was supposed to be on a panel that day. Yeah. You know, like, James Gunn was at the the hotel mm-hmm. when this broke. But it wasn't a Comic-Con announcement. Mm-hmm. You know? Right. Um, it's actually funny because... Uh, People were talking about like you know what's what's the big story and this, this happened on Friday. Mm-hmm. People were talking, what's the big story like you know what what's what's basically what are we paying attention to today? Yes. And maybe like two hours after I had that conversation, James Gunn was gone from from Marvel. Yeah. And like I'm having conversations with other people, and they're like, "Well, that's blowing everything to shit." Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that, know, that I, was I, the like, big and I'm having conversations with movie people at Comic Con, and mm-hmm. they're saying that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, they're like, well, everything has changed now. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's, it was a it's yeah. a pretty big game changer, and a lot of people were. Um, it was it was fascinating looking at the the reaction on Twitter, of course. But yeah, that is kind of the thing that I'm sure no one was, like you said, if there had been a big story at San Diego, it would have got certainly gotten overshadowed by that. It's it's funny because being at San Diego. Um, 
I can think of three things that a lot of people were talking about, like just uh, in terms of buzz on the floor. Mm-hmm. But none of them seem to break out beyond that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, for example, a lot of people were talking about DC Universe mm-hmm. service because that was literally being uh, demoed in right. San Diego. You could go and you could play with it. Mm. Uh, and then there was there was what's called an activation. I don't know when it started being called an activation, but you know how they've got all these like pop up stalls. Mm-hmm. The, for some reason, this year everyone was calling them activations. Mm. There was a DC Universe activation, which was fun kind of dumb but mm-hmm. also fun if that makes sense like there was things like the uh you got to ha- go to doom patrol chief's uh lab where they they gave you like specially flavored popcorn <laughs> and had people who'd like seriously got way into character <laughs> like dramatically into character uh, i got there i i was at a press thing for this before it officially opened mm-hmm. and me and someone from the ap are there mm-hmm and they're like, you're, you're actually too early. Why don't you just wander around, like, go and get some food. This thing has food. And we go in and bless these actors in this activation. They went full fucking tilt on us. Wow. And I'm actually saying, we're press. You don't have to. Right. Like, you really don't have to. And they're like, no, it's fine. <laughs> like, we are giving 110%. Wow. Which was like, you know, funny and also just, I don't, I found it awkward. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, but still. Um, but no, DC Universe people, a lot of people were talking about. Um, the Castle Rock stuff, a lot of people were talking about. Hmm. Um, and the, uh, the Jack Ryan thing, hmm. activation, people were talking about. Right. Like, things at this, actually at this show, because all of these were outside co- uh, the convention center. Mm hmm. Things at the show, I'm not sure what people were talking about. Well, see, the outside the convention center stuff, maybe because it was outside the convention center, also seemed to get a lot of reoccurring coverage. Uh, the good place installation and... Which I, I literally didn't even get into because the line was so bit long every single day. Right, that's what I heard. Uh, as you know, a friend of the podcast, Lauren Davis, did stand in line I, and do I, it. I met her just after she left i yeah. got the pool download for her exactly. after she went yeah. yeah yeah so that was she was like yeah it was a two-hour line but she she said it was really fun and then of course uh purge city the uh the the party faux party city yes. installation which, which was, the purge yeah honestly looked weirdly terrifying to me <laughs> i don't know i was like nope no thank you no actually you know what everyone was talking about talking about another of these mm-hmm. uh the tackle bell the demolition man tackle bell Oh Everyone yeah, that's right. That is absolutely time. true. I saw an ad for that, and that was also a thing. Yeah, and that, that was really a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and especially amongst press, mm-hmm. especially amongst press, people were like, "We've got to go to Taco Bell," and you're like, "It's fucking Taco Bell." And they're like, "No, devilish about Taco Bell. We have to do it." <laughs> Hey, if I had been down there, I would have totally been all over the Demolition Man Taco Bell, I admit it. Apparently, the weight made the good place look like, you know, you just walked in. Apparently, the weight was insane. Good lord. For Demolition Man Taco Bell. Wow. That is um, really but, funny. But that's, that's the thing. Like, all of the outside events yeah. seemed to have a lot more mm-hmm. traction than than what was what was happening there. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, when it comes to, like, comic announcements... What were the comic announcements? Like Marvel Digital Originals, I guess? 
Uh oh yeah, I guess I like, guess the, like there, was, there was a couple of Star Wars comic announcements. I can't think of anything else that was actually announced at Comic Con. Actually, the Marvel well, Digital. I, I, yeah, sorry. Hmm. So I was going to say, uh, I guess DC did their uh, Kelly Sue Aquaman and Grant Morrison uh, Green Lantern there. Right, I guess that was there, and those those were the closest things that I saw to people being like, "Whoa!" Like I, you know, those have been of course rumored for a long time, but I did see a lot of people who yeah. are really down with, uh, particularly the idea of Kelly Sue on Aquaman. So, I, oh, I don't know if that, I don't know if that how much of that went live, but at the the press breakfast on Thursday, mm-hmm. Jim Lee basically set out the plot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it sounds great. It mm-hmm. sounds genuinely uh, epic in a way that Aquaman stories always pretend to be and never quite manage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's like it sounds. It legitimately sounds very impressive. Hmm. That's great. That's uh... and then they like they were like and then Grant's pitch for Green Lantern, which I shit you know, Jeff is cops in space. <laughs> and you honestly, if you looked around, you could have seen people being like, isn't that just Green Lantern? <laughs> right. Well, like, or top ten, actually, was my was my weird thought. Was it sounded like he was pitching something that was a little more top ten-ish version of Green Lantern. Yeah, I, I, actually, I, I'm being, I'm being uh, dismissive. He actually said law and order in space. Yes, there you go. Right. Yeah. Right. So yes, that I mean, and that certainly did. You know, there were there that again got coverage, which is great. The Marvel stuff was interesting because the Marvel Digital Originals were, as with so much of Marvel, kind of. Eh? I mean, and I have to admit that I also feel that um, again, without really ever paying attention, I feel in the back of my mind that Marvel is deciding to really push the X-Men stuff like the X-Men franchise is being repushed in a in a new way and I think you can feel the um the hammy sweaty influence of Akira Yoshida there cuz it feels super super uh, retro I, I, you know r- really like I I'm curious why you say that I don't know. I just, every time I turned around, it seemed like it was kind of, like just peeking a bleeding cool, there's kind of a thing of like, oh, Psylocke. And I don't know, there was something about the X-Men Black announcement. I don't remember what was in it, but X- I was like... X-Men Black is literally five one-shots. Yeah, right? It's not a it's full-on title. It's five one-shots of yeah. like morally ambiguous characters. Well, here's the thing. It might be a full title, because mm-hmm. Marvel's announcements these days are essentially, this is what we're doing this month. Right. And you're like... Is this a series? Like, is this a one? What is it? And they're like, stay tuned, true believers. That's that's generally the way they're just doing everything now. Mm-hmm. Um, to the point where, you know, X Men Black people are like, are these preludes to an ongoing book? And they're like, keep watching. Right, right. And you're won't like, say yes, won't say no. I guess, yeah, exactly. I, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm just totally wrong, but I just feel like God, there's a lot of these goddamn X Men announcements. And like I said. Don't know why, but there was something about it that seemed super retro-y. But I, unfortunately, I'm just scattered enough after this week to not be able to point at anything distinctive. So chances are good uh, I've missed the mark. Yeah, I mean, Mar- Marvel's like Marvel made announcements there, mm-hmm. but they were all kind of blah. 
Right. Like, you know, it's a new Go- Spider-Gwen series, but now it's called Spider-Gwen, a.k.a. Ghost Spider. Oh, although the fact that it's uh, the writer is great. I'm really looking forward to it now because they it's, were smart uh, enough to sign um, Shannon McGuire. Shannon McGuire? Yes. Yeah. Yes. yes. So, and she actually is, had is a little thing. Like, her. literally, I, I, I know nothing about her. She is, she, she is a super, super popular, uh, urban fantasy author. She is very, very prolific. Um, and she is, she's, she's got excellent, excellent nerd rep. I, I only know of her like second or third hand because she's friends with, friend of the podcast Sarah Kuhn for example and uh, Amber Benson and she's actually just like astoundingly prolific very popular and uh, and uh, you see her on Twitter and her tweeting about it it just sounded really sounded really upbeat and good and a, and a very smart choice like it could be I remember when she was announced doing an X-Men annual I think mm-hmm. and she like she seemed to lose her shit about it and that was super exciting to see yeah exactly. do you know what I mean when someone's just like I'm like can you believe I'm fucking writing the X-Men right. and you're like that's you know it, it's I don't want to say sweet but it is like it's weirdly sweet when you see people genuinely nerd out about their job yeah exactly exactly so she's super super nerded out about it and I think I just think that that's I remember seeing that and being like, oh, that seems really great. So, um, yeah, but, oh, God, I really do. I'm like, oh, I don't know. I don't. I'm like, like my, I lost some crucial brain cells about Marvel announcements. I am fascinated. Oh, that's why I did want to point out, um, you know, uh, people who follow us on uh, Patreon, um, uh, if you're, if you're looking for uh, another place to throw the dosh, uh, toward, um, there is the Mint, which is a monthly newsletter of comics news and, uh, in many cases, reviews and things like that, um, put together by a team of people, including the very fine, um, I'm gonna blow his name because he's, I'm like, Steve Morris? Steve Morris. I was almost went Morrison and I'm like, no, I think it's just Morris because, because thanks to the miracle of Twitter, I just know him as the great bunny detective now because he's been using right, that exactly, as an icon yeah, for so yeah. long. <laughs> um, and recently, uh, a little secret behind the podcast, we've been supporting them since the beginning, but because they have one of those crazy, like, go here and use your, you know, enter this password to download the latest episode. I don't know if this has changed for you, Grant, but I'd honestly had never read one of the newsletters. Whereas I've been reading every single one since it launched. Oh, you had Graham. That is not what you told me a few months ago. But that is totally fine. I guess I misunderstood, or you caught up. But they, as you then, as you probably know, Steve Steve did a recent, um, very super long thing covering a lot of uh, San Diego news, and I almost went to open it. They're now he's now going to be sending it out as a Mailchimp. Um, was, is that every, is that ongoing or was that I thought that was just this one? Is it, it ongoing that they're it, doing that? Because if it's ongoing, that's really smart. Yes, it's much easier to read an email than it is to download a PDF. Well, because I because I was not. So yeah, uh, so I actually uh, read it this time and I dropped a note to Steve talk, telling him like how much I enjoyed it and I really really did. I thought that it was excellent. Um, so, uh, you know, I'll put a thing in the show notes for anyone who's interested in, um, it's, it's not a lot to, to support them every month. And it is an 
really, really excellent. It's, it's a dollar. Like a dollar is the is the the yeah. minimum, which is is nothing because yeah. you get you actually get two reports. Mm-hmm. You get a news report, and then you essentially get like a magazine that has like full length features in it. Oh, see, I haven't seen the magazine. I just saw the news report, and I thought the news report, which they did via thing, was excellent, excellent, uh, really funny, very clever. People, people, who, people who like. Graham's a uh, very dry sense of humor. I think would enjoy it tremendously. Steve did a fabulous job with that. Um, and uh, yeah, there's there's a uh, they do like I want to say it's the big uh, well beginning slash end of the month. This is crossover of the month. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do like a longer thing that has like a news report section, and then it normally has like an interview and maybe an in depth essay as well, mm-hmm. or maybe two. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's a read. Like the idea that you get all this for a dollar is kind of nuts. Yeah. Honestly, when it was just the newsletter, I was kind of like, wow, that's great. Like, it's just, there's, I, part of me was like going to find one of the, the bon mots that, uh, that, that he put in here, but there are almost too many of them. So I totally recommend it. I would, so one of the things is though that he had mentioned that, um, Jessica Jones had been announced as, you know, a digital original. Marvel Digital Original and was already available on um, Marvel Unlimited and I was like I do not think that's true or was not able to make that happen for me. Do you know offhand? No, he, he, he means Comixology Unlimited. Oh, is that what he... Well, see, that's the thing. Or, or, may, or maybe he means Marvel.com. Uh, okay. I'm not sure it's Mar- uh, Comixology Unlimited. I think it's just for sale. Yeah, um, exactly. The Marvel Digital Original thing is super weird. Mm-hmm. It is monthly episodes of 40 pages. Yes. With the idea that they can then get a trade out every three months. Yep. There is no print component until the trade. Yes. But it's essentially a trade every three months. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and their theory is, um, and I don't know if you've seen this in any of the, the press they've been doing around it, apparently there is a significant digital sales presence for the Netflix shows. Like really dramatically, it, it it every time one of the shows drops, it's a it's a big bump bump in the digital market, in the digital market, yeah. But for those titles in particular, right? So apparently they were just like, "Fuck it, let's just make it a digital comic," mm-hmm. and then the trade is the print. That's it, right? And that that's that's because it's not not worth doing a, a print edition of the singles. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're doing forty pages a month because they're like, we think people just want. Like longer reads, right. we think that market just wants bigger comics. Yeah, so it'll be really interesting to see what happens. It's uh, I have to say I turned around in the interest of giving it a best shot, and I picked up Jessica Jones in part because it's by Kelly Thompson, um, and the artist is uh, Mattia Diolis, and it looks beautiful, Graham. I got to tell the you, art's lovely. The, it is so goddamn lovely. It reminds me a lot of, for whatever reason, uh. Fraser Irving's work on like Witch Boy for Seven Soldiers, mm-hmm. like just really that same amazing sense of color and shadow and detail, but also very clearly cartoony comic booky type stuff. Really uh, quite good. The story was a little draggier than what I was expecting, perhaps from Thompson, but a I gotta say, like I, I honestly feel like the forty pages did not do the, story, the writing any favors. Mm. Well, the way that it's paced, honestly, like maybe this will change, but the forty pages to me felt like 
it was issue one and issue two, you know, two 20-page yes. issues mushed well, together. So Here's the really strange thing. DC, uh, not DC, Marvel have released the solicits for the first issue of all of the series, all of the, the four launch titles, even though there's technically five launch titles, but I'll get back to that in a second. Hmm. Uh, the four launch titles are Jessica Jones, Iron Fist, Luke Cage, and Daughters of the Dragon. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Each of the solicits call it a double-sized first issue. Right. Even though all of the comics are going to be that length. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And it's like, what? <laughs> like, I guess it's like double-sized because it's double the, like a regular Marvel comics. Right. But it's just such a weird thing to say in your solicit for the first issue when all the other issues are going to be that length as well. Yes. Yeah. Right. Also, it would be one thing if it was double, like double length at, you know, three ninety nine or four ninety nine, but it's it's not, as I recall. It's um. No, it's four. It's four ninety nine. Is it four ninety nine? Oh, okay. Because I picked yeah. it up from around thinking that I'd want to take a shot at it. Maybe that's maybe that's why. But um, yeah. Uh. So uh, right, you're right. Four ninety nine, which is which for these days is practically cheap for Marvel. Anyway, uh, I just wanted to say like. Part of me is like, oh yes, Graham. I want you know, c- you know, a you to confirm that it's not actually actively on Marvel Unlimited because I'd feel a bit foolish for having purchased it. But I'm also the guy who turned around and very excitedly bought a new manga volume from Kodansha that they literally turned around and threw in their Comicsology sale like two days later, and I was like, what? Damn it! Yeah, that 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 is that is the fucking worst. Yeah, we're like it's released and you buy it full price because you're so excited. And then within a week they're like fifty percent off, everyone. Exactly. And you all at the moment of like you couldn't have at least said yeah, like wait two days because you're still buying it in week of release. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. but uh, it's how it's how the market works these days, Jeff. It sure, it sure is. Um, I talk going back to Comic Con for a second. I would say the two busiest booths on the show floor. Mm-hmm. Uh, DC always. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say the Viz was busier than Marvel this year. Interesting. Well, it wouldn't necessarily it, surprise Viz me. was was insane. Mm-hmm. Viz was fucking insane every single time I walked past. Hmm. Um, and and f- also Viz was really big for want of a better way of putting it. Like it it felt. This show, one of the things about the, about the show, and part of this comes from the Eisners as well, is this was the show where like, every, like all the diversity comics guys and the comics gates guys who were like, oh, comics are dying, and the future of comics is like, you know, image ripoffs from the nineties. And you went to the show and you were like, not in the fucking slightest. No, not at all, not at all. I mean, yeah, comics aren't dying. The future of comics is none of your shit. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. Like, yeah. Not in the slightest. Like Viz was killing it. Uh, the Eisners, like Emil Ferris and Monstrous, fucking swept the board. Right. When you talk to publishers about what was selling, it was comics by women. It was comics by people by color. It was LBG, LGBTQ comics. Like all of that shit was moving fast on the floor. Mm-hmm. The idea that like you know basically old school superheroes are what's selling or what can save the industry. Bullshit. After mm-hmm. the show, mm-hmm. like there's mm-hmm. it's. It's really obvious from being at the show. It was like, you know, and then after that, like this week alone as well. Right. Um, Sabrina got the, the Booker Prize 
a nomination and then Adventure Zone was the first fiction comic ever to uh, first comic ever to top the New York Times fiction list yeah which is that's crazy you know and it's like what the fuck is happening yeah yeah that that really is amazing um well and it is there is a sort of uh thing that um shit uh, sorry, I'm also thinking of the fact that one of the bigger pieces of Marvel news that did get like a little bit of traction, sort of, was the fact that there's the Marvel announced uh, Vision limited series. Uh, yeah, by... Chelsea, Chelsea Kane and her husband and Odd Koch. Yeah, which is which is kind of a big which deal. A... Yeah. yeah, and I'm super excited about that series. Yeah. Um, I, I, I literally have no idea what the plot is going to be, mm-hmm. but I just feel like the combination of the creators is going to be really something special. Those those creators are great. I'm fascinated to the extent that it feels well. It's it's an it's an excellent group of people. So, but I also have this very odd kind of like it's a. Um, I'm fascinated that Marvel like has had enough success with the vision that it, that I'm assuming that they're kind of like okay they've kind of commissioned a sort of strange sequel in a way even if yeah it's exactly not. it almost feels like they're like oh that's right vision has been like a big critical success uh, but we can't get those guys back mm-hmm. um, okay vision's going to be our critical book let's because it, it, it's true the creative team does feel very much like a fuck you to the the marvel wednesday crowd and very much a sop to the maybe this will win some more eisners yes yeah i, I got that impression as well so yeah so that that was very odd it counterbalances the return of sleepwalker which was uh, another piece of <laughs> <laughs> To be fair, the third sleepwalker did come from the previous solicits. That wasn't that wasn't a. Oh, okay, okay. They, they'd already given that away. But um, yeah, the sleepwalker, fucking sleepwalker. <laughs> <sighs> Sad man done right, Jeff. Right. Sad right. man done right. <laughs> uh, uh, I, yeah. I I don't know. You know, it's a switch lanes for a second i don't know if you read marvel's um infinity wars prime this week i did not have you keeping up with any of the infinity war stuff no no i didn't bother so they did did infinity countdown Mm -hmm. Uh, well first of all they did infinity countdown prime then they did the infinity countdown miniseries now this week it's the infinity wars prime leading into the infinity wars series right um Oh god, Jeff! It's just—it's <laughs> exhausting. It's genuinely exhausting. Um, it's rarely—you may remember—I was talking about Death of the Inhumans, and I was like, Death of the Inhumans doesn't feel like a comic. It feels like basically someone doing a Wikipedia entry. Right. Oh. Yes. Yeah, so does Infinity War Prime. Mm. Mm-hmm. Infinity War Prime is literally like I don't know if you've heard about the big climax, the shocking moment that's meant to draw everyone into it. Yes. Have you heard? Or I I, I think so. Yeah, and I don't know whether to spoil it for the audience or not, but um, um but it's if it, it's so rote, like it's like it's literally like a committee were like, well, what's the shocking moment to finish this one? Uh, okay, why don't we do this? Sure, that's really shocking. No one will see that coming. Sure, it's shocking. Awesome, right. let's do it. And then when you read the comic, first of all, it takes like four pages to happen. Mm-hmm. And it's so dull. So dull. <laughs> Earth 
shatteringly boring. <laughs> that you're like, how? Why did no one go, yeah, like, if we make this half the length mm-hmm. and, and actually try and make it surprising in any way whatsoever, mm-hmm. maybe this will have more impact. As opposed to basically like character appearing being like, I'm going to do X now. Another character being like, are you going to do X? And then X happens and like, yes, you did X. X has been done. <laughs> I, I just want to say, by the way, Graham, that, that in your attempts to summarize and be spoiler free, you've actually reminded me of what it's like to read, um, uh, uh, Jay McInerney novels. Cause that, cause that really is. <laughs> Like, I think that is exact dialogue from one of his later 90s uh, rave novels. So that, that was great. Yes, I have done X. Yes, I would like to point out, I'm using X as a stand-in for what actually happened. Oh, got it. These characters, sadly. That would be amazing, though. Wouldn't that just be awesome? Infinity joint. Infinity countdown. You've had Infinity Wars, now it's Infinity Rave. <laughs> Infinity Rave would be awesome. <laughs> I it's let's face it I'm really shocked and disappointed that there has not been an issue of Avengers where like somebody brings like a plate of brownies to Avengers Mansion and uh everyone that were left over from like a party and it just turns out that they were like completely infused with weight with weed and everyone's like that, completely that, high during actually, the emergency that's, plot, wow. that's what happens to one of our Ewing's uh, ultimate issues does it really? No, it doesn't. Damn! I was like, I was so hopeful. I'm like, oh, I knew I should have been keeping up on the Ultimates. Shit! That's the best. You well, should be keeping up on Ultimates. It's, in all seriousness, like, Ultimates is a comic you'd read and you'd be like, oh, so they can still do comics like this. Right. Yeah. No, believe me, I... It, it's, it's all possible looking for. It really is. Um... You just reminded me, as we're talking about this, talking about Marvel announcements at Comic-Con, that people were like, what is this? The Marvel Knights revival. Oh, right. Was that at Comic-Con? That whole Marvel Knights with Donnie Cates showrunning it or whatever? Yeah, Donnie Cates like, I'm showrunning Marvel Knights. It's called MK20. And it's me and Matthew Rosenberg and Vita Ayala and Tini Howard. And everyone's like, what is it? And he's like, I can't tell you. (laughs) Who are the artists? Can't tell you. Right. And so... Userama ran a story and they're like, they're reviving the Marvel Knights line. And Marvel said, like, an announcement. And they're like, yeah, it's not, it's not, it's not a line. We're not telling you what it is. Wow. And so Marvel had to do this, like, weird half attraction where they're like, I guess it's not a line, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what the show was like. Wow. Well, uh, to jump back, you said uh, DC Universe had a lot of traction. Do you have anything to report on that front in an I official capacity? What I, can, I genuinely don't know what I can say publicly about DC Universe. Mm-hmm. I, and I'm not, like, I'm trying not to be coy. Right. But I genuinely don't know what I can say. I can say that I have played around with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I have seen it in action both uh, on a tablet and on a television. Mm-hmm. Um, what else can I tell you? Uh, fuck Batman. Obviously, I can tell you fuck Batman. Oh man, um, that was that trailer. Uh, whew, boy, that thing. Of course, that was before San Diego, but whew, that, no, that was that was day off. That was that was preview night. Oh, was it? And oh, I, actually, God. it went it went live. It went public on the Thursday on the first day of San Diego. Oh my God! Uh, but what can I tell you? 
uh, I really am like shit because I'm under embargo for Oh, stuff. see, I wasn't sure if you were. In that case, let's not because that's uh, totally fine. No, I can't because I, I want to like I, – I, well, let, let's put it this way. No, I'll tell you. Don't, I'll tell you. I'll, I'll tell you this much. Right. Um, when they announced that they said it was going to be uh, movies, television, uh, like an encyclopedia, uh, 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 sort of community forum, mm-hmm. and comics like Marvel Unlimited. Right. And a lot of people were like, "What's the comic selection going to be like?" Yeah, that is the only question that bothers to me. Yeah, exactly. That's as you know, that's the only thing I'd be interested in all of that. Based on what I've seen, mm-hmm. it's a surprisingly large and surprisingly diverse curated selection. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm playing coy because I genuinely don't know how much of this is it's only there for beta and then they're going to call it. Right. Uh, and how much of it is this is what's going to be available. But if it's what it's available when I looked at it, mm-hmm. there's stuff in there that I am genuinely stunned mm-hmm. is it there mm-hmm. uh, like not only is there no media tie in people don't remember some of these comics fucking came out wow well that uh, would you say would you, it because the I, at first I was like oh there's no way I'm really going to sign up for this because the price seemed uh, exorbitant to me but uh, you doing the well, see, that's it. What, um, cause it's like $75 a year or something like that. It's really yeah. not that much more than an annual, uh, Marvel Unlimited subscription. Marvel. Yeah. So if the, if the library is somewhat commensurate, even if the library is what I have seen, mm-hmm. uh, I would say it is, it is up there with Marvel Unlimited. Wow. Well, let's. I will keep my fingers crossed because that that is. And I will. I, I, what I what I can say completely publicly mm-hmm. is uh, I was talking to Jim Lee about it, and this is not embargoed. And Jim Lee explicitly said it's thousands of comics will be available. Wow, thousands. Right, right. Um, and based upon what I saw, I would say that seems fair. Right, right. Well, I, I, if, if that is, if, if that's the case and that's, that's available, I will, I will kind of be first in line, which is interesting because you know me, I like, I like to double dip <laughs> because I have to say that, um, DC's, what DC makes available through Hoopla makes Hoopla an amazing, if for people, we've, we've talked about this before and people who contacted me on Twitter are, are, I think know that I'm fast to recommend Hoopla. Um, is a great oh, service. You're, if you you're like entirely comics, right. Mm-hmm. You're entirely right. When I when I got access to Hoopla, I I, I uh, basically got myself a new Kindle, so I could, I could actually use Hoopla. Um, and that's, I mean, Hoopla is amazing. Yeah. If your library has Hoopla and you're not using Hoopla, which is free, mm-hmm. you're genuinely nuts. Yeah. Yeah. Because the the comic selection on Hoopla, which again is free, yep, is astounding. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. I mean, it, every every DC paperback that comes out is there the Tuesday after it appears in the comic store. Mm-hmm. Is it that? Is that that soon? Wow, jeez. Yeah. I knew it was very soon. It's less but, yeah. than a week after it appears in the comic store. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And and it is extensive. I don't know if they're gonna. I don't. I, I should say it's not just paperbacks. Mm-hmm. I got this White Legion of Superheroes hardcover omnibus from there the Tuesday after it appeared in the comic store as well. Right. 
Right. In fact, if we get around to talking about comics, one of my absolute, probably favorite comic book reads of the week, if not of this year, came from uh, an omnibus that's available the DC has that's available through Hoopla. So it's, it's an amazing free digital service. You know, if your library has it, if you have like a, a tablet or some other way where you want to read comics digitally, definitely do it. But that being said, there is part of me that's like, if, if DC universe does have something that can measure up to, to Marvel unlimited, I would be very excited by that as well. So. Well, I mean, the other thing is, so DC Universe is going to be a really interesting thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, I, you know, who doesn't want to watch nine seasons of Super Friends? And I'm not really being facetious. <laughs> That's a selling point for me. Right. Uh, having all the Bruce Tim, Dwayne McDuffie Justice League available. Mm-hmm. Having all of Young Justice. Having all of uh, the Linda Carter Wonder Woman right. on there. You know, all the Christopher Reeve Superman. Mm-hmm. Uh, never mind the original content. Mm-hmm. You know, but having all that library of material on there, as well as the comics, mm-hmm. for $8 a month, mm-hmm. like, does seem reasonable. Mm-hmm. Um, the encyclopedia is nuts. Yeah. The encyclopedia is surprisingly in-depth. Hmm. Um, and for people who are... You know, I mean, Jeff, for you and me, like, we've read these characters for fucking decades. Mm-hmm. But for people who are coming to them and they've literally been like, oh, I've watched The Flash on the CW for four years. Right. I'm going to check in on this. Like, this, it's it's an astounding gateway. Mm-hmm. It genuinely is. Mm-hmm. Um, something that's fascinating to me is they really are essentially bringing message boards back mm-hmm. with their community forums, which they... Because we asked, like it, it was me and and, and uh, the AP person who were getting the presentation together, and we were both like, "So you're moderating the shit out of this, right?" Because the internet is a cesspool now. Yeah. And they were like, "Oh yeah, we've got three different layers of moderation on these." Wow. Mm-hmm. Like we're really moderating these because their entire thing is we want this to be inclusive. We don't want any gatekeepers on it. Right. Right. Well, and it makes sense because bad activities would be crushed on there. I I am fascinated to the extent to which ha huh, here comes the Jeff phrase. I I I'm it. I was originally somewhat dismissive DC Universe, uh, especially because the emphasis very much seemed to be on their original material, which I gave serious side eye to and. And then it was a lot of their media material. But as someone who is aware, there's a real rush to create branded streaming content services now. And it seems like a relatively clever approach to one. I mean, I, I, I have a, a, bought an annual subscription, uh, to Shudder which is the uh, horror service offered through AMC. And I really quite like a lot of the stuff that they have in it and the uh, sort of their approach overall to it. And realizing the idea that, that DC, because of its tight ties with Warner, and I'm sure Warner's interest in trying to develop that space, they're really probably a, they're able to do that in a way that might really pay off. And it does sound like they are very vested in it, it looks like 
having the various aspects of the service tie in together. So it might be, it really might be a great gateway um, because it, you know, there's, there's, there are a lot of fans of the DC shows um, that that are out are there. The, are the DC movies? Are yeah. the are the like animated stuff? Like there is, there are. <laughs> I agree with you with the animated stuff and the DC shows. Yes, absolutely. No, no, but I, I, I mean like the like the you know the Christopher Reeve movies. No, 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 I the, agree. And the, the Michael Burton Keaton Batman's like, and stuff you know what I mean? Like yeah, because yeah. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, because that's it doesn't have like the recent movies on there. Right, they're not there. Yeah, yeah. Um, but. So, so to speak to that a bit, like uh, when I was doing this present, this press presentation on Wednesday, mm-hmm. uh, it was it was three like sections that we went around essentially, mm-hmm. and the first one was the demo, like it'd been like here's here's a uh, a tablet, here's mm-hmm. a television, like here's the, the remote control for the television, play with it, I'm going to talk you through it. Mm-hmm. Then we went from there to Jim Lee, and Jim Lee essentially is like, okay, here's how comics fit in, here's how publishing fits in. Um, like this is how we're going to do it this is how we're, we're approaching the curated content and then after that it was one on ones with the head of Warner Brother Digital hmm. and the head of Warner Brother Digital and like this is running Hollywood Reporter already so I'm not saying anything out of school here um, essentially said oh this is like this is one of the most important projects of Warner Brothers right now <laughs> like if we crack this we have we have brought all of Warner Brothers' different areas together, right? And so, like this is this is a big deal for us to get right. Yeah, yeah. You know, so they are like Warner Brothers is all in on this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, something I, I wrote up and already run into HR. I talked to Dan Didio and Jim Lee, mm-hmm. just as like a like where is DC Publishing type thing, um. And something Didio said, like, it, it's really interesting to me. He basically said, like, you know, we're, he, he, he phrased it as, we're part of a big company. Mm-hmm. But DC, and specifically DC Publishing, is one of the largest producers of content in that company. When you look at how many pages of material we produce every month, mm-hmm. like, we are producing more story content than, than everyone else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and basically, like, we, we, like, we're not like the, a junior area of Warners, mm-hmm. you know. Like we are really important within Warners, hmm. which is a really interesting thing to say because you know you look at, at Marvel, mm-hmm. and you don't get the feeling that Marvel feels that about Disney at all, right? But it's, it's still true. Like Marvel is producing more content on a regular basis than any other area of Disney. Well, and as as we pointed out again, not an not a San Diego uh uh announcement, but I believe San Diego adjacent was the fact the the announcement that IDW is going to be doing all ages yes. material all featuring ages, the Marvel characters. Multiple series. Yeah. Multiple series as yeah. well. They're doing three series, which yeah. is kind of amazing to me. Yeah. The, the Marvel is just like given up well like that's that's nuts to me and the marvel is just like we're, we i guess we don't do kids comics anymore well yeah uh and, and do you remember how we were talking a little bit about how strange it was that the um comicsology original what's that Oh yeah, yeah. I I thought you were going to say when Star Wars went to IDW for kids comics. Oh no 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 no. Which which I think was kind of the opener of the the way in that one. But like, 
um, Spidey Schools Out, which is being released as a Comixology uh, original uh, limited series that was being written by John Barber, which we found very strange that that John Barber, who's like, what's right, exactly why is why is the editor in chief of IDW doing a, a Marvel comic? Right now we know exactly exactly. It seems much more that it was a dry run for. IDW doing an all ages Marvel book and that it was released this way, but it's very much, I think, a precursor for what we're going to be looking at. So, oh, which which actually leads me back to the Marvel Digital and Originals thing. Mm-hmm. Remember, I said that like there's five launch titles, but they only announced four. Yes. The reason for this is they've announced one already. The Cloak and Dagger series, which launched last month, is a Marvel Digital Originals book. Oh, interesting. Right, and they just like literally. Like we're like, yeah, we folded that in, mm-hmm. and I wonder how much of that we're going to see from Marvel in the future. Mm-hmm. Essentially, proof of concept books under the radar, and then like, oh yeah, that's actually part of this new line. Yeah, yeah, but that the, it 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 makes a it makes a lot of sense, I think, to me that there's a little bit of the uh, how to put it, like Marvel is. Is giving up is giving up directly in terms of producing the material for some of those markets, but they're not giving up indirectly. So the fact that they're paying attention via digital originals or the all ages material, even if it's via IDW, but then ends up, you know, I don't, I, you know, it's going to be coming out in the marketplace. But if it if it ends up with more stuff being folded in under the original series. And digitally, and then being later released as a trade, well, you know, we'll see. It's kind of part of me is like it, it's unsurprising considering that, you know, they were. I guess the thing that to me is surprising isn't so much that that Marvel is either gave up or Disney just basically decided that IDW was the licensor that they'd rather have handling this material. But I guess it's surprising to me, considering that outside the marketplace, things like Ms. Marvel and uh, Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur and uh, Unbeatable Squirrel Girl are such big hits. And those were created inside Marvel at, you know, at one point. It's... Part of me was like, well, it makes sense that they gave it over to IDW because they just don't have the interest or they didn't see the success or they just don't have the people who are capable of creating that kind of work. But they actually do have three titles that point to the idea that they could or did or had, right? When the IDW deal got announced, the Mm -hmm. first thing I did was get in touch with Marvel and say what's happening with Squirrel Girl and Moon Girl. Yeah. Because they seem to be entirely in the same market. Mm Mm-hmm. Very much and so. I was like, are they going to IDW? Are they getting cancelled? Like, what's happening? Mm-hmm. And the official Marvel line is, nothing is happening. They're just going to continue as they were. Mm-hmm. Which seems odd. Mm-hmm. But I think both of those books, Squirrel Girl essentially, is, if, uh, sorry, definitely, I'm not sure if Moon Girl falls under the same thing. Mm-hmm. But I think Squirrel Girl was a fluke. Mm-hmm. And I think that Marvel doesn't really know what to do with it. And to be honest, Marvel really fucked up that graphic novel. Mm-hmm. Uh, not in terms of the creation. It's a really good book. It's a but great book. But in terms book. of of the uh, 
the marketing and the distribution. Hmm. At least uh, within the marketplace, right? I mean, or do we? Because we don't really know how it's it was handled or or how successful it might have been via Scholastic, which I think is the narrative. Uh, that's, is, that's where I think they really screwed up. Oh, really? Okay, interesting. Not from Marvel people, but from other people who would have reason to know this. Mm-hmm. I heard that. Basically, Marvel did what they normally do with books, which is they printed to order and then they didn't go back to reorder. But that's not how the Scholastic market works. That's not at all. Yeah, exactly. And right. said, okay, we have Wave 2. And Marvel said, oh, we don't have any more books. See, how could they have and even was, made was, a dent in the Scholastic book fair market in the first because place? They, that's what I'm saying. They didn't. Mm. Like, this was their big shot and mm. they fucked it up. Wow. It is no it should come as no surprise if you know that mm-hmm. to then go, well no wonder DC Superhero Girls was really successful the next year. Right. Because the one thing DC does, they overprint like shit. Yeah. They especially totally do. on books that they think is going to be a success. Yeah. Especially for something for a, a market like that. Yeah. And so I think DC was able to really just steal Marvel's thunder. By going, hey, remember that Squirrel Girl book that your kids wanted, but there, there weren't any left. Mm-hmm. We've got uh, we've got qual- uh, comics for for young girls, and ours are available. Right, <laughs> like we actually have them. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, that's I, I don't know if you remember when, but when the Squirrel Girl graphic novel came out, there was actual like talk out loud about, oh, we're we're going to do another, mm-hmm. and that's never appeared, and that was what three four years ago now. Right, because. They they screwed themselves in the in the publication of it, mm. you know. That's really a shame. And then you look at uh, Marvel Rising, mm-hmm. which is like you know the uh, the animated series that again is basically. Uh, oh yeah, uh, that was one they really fucked up. And at least like, the print we're doing, component. We're doing a comic tie-in. We're doing yeah. a print tie-in, and the print tie-in is five one shots, yeah. all of which are numbered one, apart from one of which is numbered zero. But the number zero wasn't a comic you could buy. You had to be at the store on a particular day to get it for free, and that's the first chapter of the story. Wow. Yeah. That's... And so you pick up like whatever, like Squirrel Girl slash Miss Marvel issue one, and they're like, "You th- the last three comics you should have read to get to this point are these ones, mm-hmm. one of which isn't literally isn't available anymore." Right. And by the way, all of these comics are five dollars. Right. And you're like, like, are you actively trying to get this to fail? That because that one actively does look like they're trying to get like, it to fail. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's mm-hmm. like if you're not trying to get it to fail, I can't imagine how you could have gotten it to fail any worse like right. unless you literally were like we're calling all of these comics issue four <laughs> i'm surprised you they know, won't do that with the uh the ff debut book actually that would be great don't, don't get some ideas don't fucking get some ideas. <laughs> um no but like that like that's genuinely staggering again you mm-hmm. know and the fact that the idw thing is announced after this and after people have made a stink about marvel rising just being impenetrable for new readers yeah um made me think that honestly someone at disney was like okay look <laughs> like you guys can't do this mm-hmm. like we, we gave you a chance and you guys just are, are fucking up mm-hmm. like iw has shown us with the, the star wars books that they can market to kids mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so we're just gonna go with them right yeah i think so it make it makes a, a sad amount of sense but, but here's the thing okay so we're just talking about the the uh, marvel rising and, and like breaking in books like that yeah uh, you know I get sent a bunch of, of 
of uh, DC books, right? Yes, yes, Graham, I do. <laughs> uh, guess what was waiting for me when I got back from San Diego? Oh my. Uh, uh, I don't know, the latest superhero girls novel? Uh, no, although I did get that today. Um, the, uh, a couple of the Walmart books. Oh, interesting. Have you seen them? No, not at all. It's, like, it's really, they're really weird, Jeff. <laughs> uh, I, I say that because they're, well, they're, first of all, they're exactly what you think they're going to be. Mm-hmm. 12 pages of original content and three reprint stories. Right. There's so much dead space in these comics. Hmm. Like, outside of the house ads, mm-hmm. there's also, like, recap pages mm-hmm. between between the stories. Mm-hmm. And all I kept thinking was, like, you could fit another story in here. <laughs> like, you pull the house ads out of this, you pull the recap pages out. Mm-hmm. Like, there's enough space for, like, another story. Mm-hmm. Like, if you do recaps, like 2080 does recaps, which is on the contents page, you also have a recap of the story. Right. Right. Like, you literally have enough space for another story in there. Mm-hmm. It's so strange. They they are, I mean, they are for four ninety nine, and if you haven't read these stories before, mm-hmm. great. Like, right. it's, it's 72 pages of content. Yeah. Uh... But it's also like 72 pages of content in something that is advertised as an 100-page special. Right. Right. You know? Like, yeah. which really emphasizes how much dead space there is in there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a very, like, it's a very odd thing. Um, I, apparently, they're amazingly successful. Oh, good. Uh, they sold out of Walmart super quickly. Mm-hmm. Um... And despite what I kept hearing, namely they're not going back to print, I also heard people being like, yeah, there's another shipment going out now. So either there was all, they always kept some back or it did go back to print. Well, you know, the rumors were, cause of course everyone was like, hey, these could be big numbers cause Walmart would have, you and I think you and I speculated on this, the idea that in order to cover the Walmart stores, like we're looking at potentially very large guaranteed print runs. But people were estimating that it was in fact the opposite. That 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 people were estimating the print runs around fifteen thousand or something like that. Which you know, because it based on the idea that nobody had ever managed to come across more than like five copies. Sounds weird. Well, that's literally yeah. five copies per store. Well, and that's exactly what people were saying. This is no one had ever managed that's, to see more than five copies. Low. So, like, that sounds suspiciously low. I completely, you know I yeah, no, I, dude, I don't know. I, I mean, it sounded crazy to me, but on the other hand, people were also sort of a little underwhelmed by location, by the, yeah. the size I, I and depth heard, of the I box. Heard six, I heard 60,000 as a number. Okay, which, sound, which sounds much better, I think, and makes well, a lot it, more it, sense it's, it's 20 copies of store. Yeah, so. right. So... So we'll see. Maybe, maybe, but I, part of me is like, I hope so. Cause the idea of it being a success with an initial 60,000 print run, copy print run, and they might like up that as the thing goes, I think is way more exciting than, than again, like I said, some of the rumors of 15,000 
Well, Where something like... that Dio said to me, and again, this is on the record, so I'm not saying anything ridiculous, mm-hmm. is that they're looking at a second wave. Mm-hmm. They want to get it to eight titles, not four titles. Which would be wonderful, yeah. Which would be two every month, two every week. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um... And also, I because I I asked them this when I was talking to them for DHR, they're not looking at building a a trade market in Walmart. This is purely periodical. Because mm-hmm. I was like, you're going to do collections, and he was like, it's a pre- periodical market. <laughs> Interesting. Well, that's great. Uh, well, see, I mean, I'm sure they're going to do collections of the new material. Oh, I think so too, but I don't think that it's. Uh, but it's going to be coming out like. To service the direct market and yeah, and yeah. of course move that into libraries and you know for those of us who want to read it on Hoopla at some point you know so yeah but it's 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 an odd package you mm-hmm. know it's a really odd package um, and it's funny like the Justice League one mm-hmm. is five new fifty two issue ones sorry I'll try it again three new fifty two issue ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just weird revisiting that now. Do you know what right. I mean? Right. It's like, oh yeah, Aquaman issue one, Justice League issue one, and The Flash issue one. Right. Yeah, I remember those comics. Right. So 2011 was a crazy time. Yeah, it was. <laughs> well, and this is a little bit that I find fascinating. And in a way, it sort of reflects uh what you see in DC when DC does some sales like i've got some real like DC is clearly kind of on the i want a lack of a better term like they're on the offensive they're on the go but they're not quite putting things together i was really amused like i picked up a free uh teen titans go issue in comicsology or something like that that was, that was that literally had and i thought this was very smart a you know, uh, inspired by Teen Titans goes to the movies, you know, in theaters yeah. on blah, 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 in the bottom left corner. But it it's literally a comic book that is a Teen Titans Go thing that's a promotional comic for their video game. The, the Teen, Teen Titans Go figure, which is a video game available on on you know, the iPhone and iPad and I assume Android and other various stuff. That's basically a collectible game. You know, the whole issue is built entirely 100% around that. And even at the end is like, go to the, you know, go to the iTunes store now and download Teen Titans Go Figure Free. And and I'm like, okay, so this really isn't much of a movie tie-in, you know. Similarly, they had a Teen Titans Go sale, which... It's I probably saw that. It was like, you know, here, here's 101 comics. Five of the Teen Titans Go comics. Yes, I was like, those. That is not a good percentage, you guys. What are you doing? But there is a little bit of an emphasis, and I don't know if it's Didio's preference or I think that it's just because it seems like a very clean start. Um, That's the clean start thing is why those comics are in the Walmart. Exactly. Because some, someone asked him about that at, the, at the, a press appearance. Yeah. And he like was up front. Mm-hmm. He's like, if you completely ignore the the existing direct market, right, and you think about like how what is the best starting point for someone? Yes. And you go to the where the line restarted, and every issue one was a jumping on point. Yes. Then that's a fine place to start. Yeah. 
Right, which makes which makes sense. Part of me is like, okay, it makes sense that they're calling it and in comicsology they've definitely leaned on the new fifty two, I think, very much on that idea of like their starting points. This is they're expecting to get new readers via digital and via these Walmart things. And part of me is like, that's great. The problem is is because the new fi- what I find fascinating is because the new fifty two was such a botched affair ultimately in the long run i'm fascinated to see like if they're going to really how they're going to try sticking it through what do you do when you get rebirth where essentially everyone's like let's start over yeah right like technically it's all in the same continuity but like you get to books especially like superman yes you know right we're like they're explicitly like yeah okay so this is actually superman of another like universe right. who we introduced via convergence and then another miniseries and not in the Superman books but then we introduced some Superman books because he killed off the other Superman and then <laughs> like six months into it we're going to have a storyline where it's like well actually both of them are neither really the Superman but there's also this Superman and then we redo his origin again and you're like this is when everyone jumps off right this is where everyone who is not the direct mark audience jumps off right so you know, par- and you can't ignore it because all of a sudden, out of that, you're like, I know he has a kid and he's married to Lois. Right, right. No, honestly, I do wonder if if I were DC, and I'm sure they're not thinking this far down the road, or part of them's like, that's ridiculous. It's an expense that we're not going to do. I would seriously think about where they're going to uh, uh, essentially like create new bridging material. You know, to kind of compress or perhaps just detour uh, entirely so that you can end up in the rebirth stuff, in a in a way that kind of makes more sense. Because I because well, I don't I, I think wonder you if they're going to I wonder if they're going to skip the rebirth stuff and then just go straight to Bendis. Uh, for super well for Superman that would make a certain amount of sense. Actually, it would make a really strong amount of sense. But you still got a lot of other comics. Like you've, at some point, Jeff Johns leaves Aquaman, and then you're kind of like, <laughs> you know. Well, honest, I, again, honestly, like I just jump straight to the Dynamite stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I think you can. You know, no offense to to Jeff Parker because I like this run, mm-hmm. but I think you can just jump over Jeff stuff and you can uh, jump over Colin Bond run. I think mm-hmm. everyone should jump over Colin Bond run. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just go straight to Dan Abnett and go to the Rebirth stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, same with Flash. If you finish Manipal, mm-hmm. I think you could just go straight to um, to the Josh Williamson stuff. Right. And that's actually was was kind of my point. Is is like I know there was a gap after Manipal left where Flash managed to hit the doldrums, hit a long skid before the before the very successful Rebirth relaunch. Well, that's just that. Like, there's literally like 30 issues between. Manipal and, and Williamson. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and I read them mm-hmm. and I enjoyed them, uh, despite Brett Booth being the artist. But <laughs> honestly, if someone's like, you know, hey, you know, where's a good place to jump onto these comics? I wouldn't be like, you have to read mm-hmm. the, the run into it. Especially because one of the things Williamson does is he sort of rebuilds the old continuity to a big extent. Right. And if you read the stuff in between, you're like, wait, so which reverse flash is this? Mm-hmm. Because by the time you get to Williamson, you're like, this is the third or fourth reverse flashes I've, I've read. Right. 
Right. Like this is too many. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, it's 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 rough. Although at the same time, you also can't entirely skip over it because in between Manipal and Williamson is where you introduce the Wallace West character right. who plays a big part in Williamson's run. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there really, they're like there really is a. They're gonna to have to come up with like, even if it is just like a recap page to be like, and then there were more adventures, and then Kid Flash came about, right? You know, and then there were more adventures, and by the way, Superman got married and had a kid, right? Right. You know. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. I mean, it really is. Part of me is like, I really think that DC's it it's a good idea. I think it's sensible. I and I support it. But it is fascinating that they're kind of a little bit locked into uh, the new 52 universe is a bit of a time bomb. You know, it does get to a point where it... I know of literally two different ghetto clauses for the new 52 universe that are in play right now in DC Mm storylines. And I would not say what they are, Mm -hmm. but there are literally two different entirely separate comics <laughs> happening right now that both if DC wants to pull the trigger mm-hmm. can entirely do a crisis on their their continuity if they want to do it right I kind of suspect that they you know I get the sense that they're, like they're building toward to, it mm-hmm. right right uh, I don't know which one they're going to choose mm-hmm. uh, because I know which one kind of makes sense and yet I ultimately feel like the other one makes the more sense in the long run oh man it's really a shame that you can't that you that I understand for whatever reason your reasons for being coy and I I have my I have my own theory that's just as you know as everyone who listens <laughs> to the me, podcast tell me your theory Jeff well as I was going I, to say I can't say but I would love to know what, what your theory is. My theory, as I was about to say, people who listen to the podcast will be unsurprised, is based entirely around not reading the comics, but entirely about Jeff A. shit-talking and gossiping, is that I would I would say the easiest way to go about this is is that one of that there are that the conflict for reboots would be what's going on in the Jeff Johns side of things and what's going on in the Dan DiDio side of things. And so, therefore, I would say there's probably stuff that Doomsday Clock is or could be building to for a fine reset or crisis level. And I actually honestly think that uh, Scott Snyder's Justice League is laying the groundwork for... I mean, he's... He's really having a fun time playing sort of super fast and loose with the idea that the universe is just hitting this state of kind of hyper chaos as a result of the effects of blah, blah, and yada, yada. And so I could see where basically there's the, the a place for a reboot within that as well. And so two different um, very powerful Forces, hitters, heavy hitters within DC, each have are building towards something, and which one will prevail? That's so. That's entirely just based on me. Like, and again, I'm reading Justice League, not reading Doomsday Clock, and there's like a huge output 
of DC that I'm not reading at all. So you can be like, no, Jeff, you're wrong. It's Flash I'm, and I'm, it's Green I'm Lantern. I'm literally yep. going to say nothing. Yep, I think that's uh, totally fair. But I will tell you this. Mm-hmm. I talked to Scott Snyder, and this will run, I think, next week in THR. So, mm-hmm. I, like, again, all of this is on the record. I'm just giving you a preview here. Right. Um, Justice League is in a lot more books than you think it is. Hmm. Mm-hmm. The storyline in Justice League is is going to go all over the place. Hmm. There's stuff in Green Lantern. There's mm-hmm. I, if you're reading Flash, you'll already have seen there's stuff in Justice League that's in Flash and vice versa. Hmm. Um, there's going to be stuff in Green Lantern. Green Lantern is going to be there's been a throwaway line in Justice League that essentially said like the multiverse is dying, mm-hmm. and that's a gre- that's the Green Lantern. Uh, concept. Right, right. That the, the it's uh, got like a year to live or something like that. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, there is apparently specific things in the Justice League Odyssey book mm-hmm. that tie in not only with Justice League but with No Justice. Mm-hmm. Like there, there, No Justice is more than just a bridging point. No Justice is not just Cosmic Odyssey. Hmm. There, there, there is stuff there. If you've read Justice League Dark, you'll have seen that Justice League Dark also builds explicitly off of No Justice um, in a way that genuinely was surprising to me. Hmm. Really? Um, yeah, have you read Justice League Dark? No, you? no, I was tempted, but ultimately decided not to. I really liked it. I really, really did like it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know the whole, like, it's all connected that I think Marvel Studios used to do? Yes. Um, there's a lot of different things happening in all these different books which, like, actually are connected to each other hmm. and are not part of an event book. Mm-hmm. Like, or threads that are meant to play out in each other's books and cross over, but, like, cross over in the way that Marvel Comics of the 70s crossed over. Right, yeah, just the idea that it's all happening in the same universe and... Yeah, and it's and all happening can... at the same time, and don't right. be surprised if like, a character leaves one book and shows up in another book. Right, complaining about what happened in the previous book. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is super exciting to me, yeah. as, like, a fan of that stuff. Exactly. You know, mm-hmm. the idea that you can't have... Hawkeye leave the Avengers and then she opens the Avengers the next month, being like those fucking Avengers, like is great. Do you know what I mean? Like that yeah. is that is no, really that fun. is great. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so seeing all that stuff play off against each other is going to be really interesting. But hearing the like, oh, this is how it all connects, and this is where it's all going, mm-hmm. was really because I was like, oh, so I guess that is part of it. Mm-hmm. You know, because. Very certainly, as I'm used to, superhero comics giving lip service to the shared universe. Oh, very much you know, so. You yeah, literally get like years. a character, you know, saying, "Hey, I heard that you were going through a divorce." Right. And then it's because, like in the other book, he's having a divorce, and that's it, and that's the, the extent of it. Yeah. Um, and that's I think how we've learned to think about shared universe is that or a crossover event. Mm-hmm. You know, where it's like, oh my God, you know, the scrolls are invading for the next eight months. <laughs> and that you know, and that's the interconnectivity. The idea of having like actual interconnectivity which is ongoing and building to the same point and everyone knows where that point is. Mm-hmm. But they're not all telling the same story. Mm-hmm. It's is is very Sorry, I dropped something. I was gonna say I heard. I heard something <laughs> fall over. Um Yeah, so so that that's really interesting. I will see I will not say however whether you're right by saying Doomsday Clock and Justice League. 
Okay, I think that's fair. I I just wanted to make sure that um you know at least the listeners had at least somebody's half-ass theory to hang hang their hat on, which makes for a lovely mixed metaphor. Uh, uh, are there comics that we want to talk about, Graham? Is there is there like a comic uh, thing? Sure. Like, or let, do, let, is there let, more let, news that we've missed out on that I've missed uh, out on? There there literally wasn't. It completely like left my brain. Oh, what do you think about Anna Koyama? Um. Shutting, shutting her press. Oh, I thought that that was fascinating news. Fascinating news. I, on the one hand, part of me is um, very sad, even though I yeah, I'm 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 really sad because yeah, like the shit I found through her mm-hmm. is like because because it was one of these. It wasn't necessarily like everything was to my taste, mm-hmm. but everything was always interesting. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. You know? Yep. And uh, uh, I just, it was one of those things where, um, for as me, for someone who do, who doesn't pay enough attention, hearing more about how she set up the press, why why she's moving to direct patronage, um, was really uh, was really moving and very much like. I wish I'd known about it sooner because I felt like I had spent a lot of time wishing there was someone in the industry like her doing exactly what she was doing and not realizing that she was. Yeah. So I felt like kind of a, a a huge schmo for that part. But, um, but yeah, I thought that was absolutely fascinating news. Um, we should like in the show notes, we should put the link to the comics journal story. Yes, absolutely. Uh, where, where they talk about this. Cause it is a fascinating read. And honestly, like you, I didn't really know what Annie was doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I thought that Annie was essentially a publisher. Mm-hmm. The end. Right. Um, and so seeing like really learning more about what she's doing. And also, yeah, well, like you said, like moving into direct patronage mm-hmm. is, is, is fascinating. Like I'm really curious what she's going to do next and how she's going to do it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, all of that is really interesting. Which also reminds me, I don't know if this got announced beyond the Eisners, but the Comics Journal is coming back as a print magazine. Uh, I heard a rumor about that. Yeah, which is yeah, they, they announced the, the Eisners when it won Best Journalism. It's coming back as a print magazine next year. Wow, that's that's really fabulous. Um, yeah, and and actually, as long as we're talking about the Comics Journal, which did a great job with uh, breaking the news about Koryama Press clo- closing. Uh, Alec Berry, who, uh, wrote a really great, I think, strong profile of David Brothers, who, uh, mm-hmm. that, that ran recently digitally. I'll try and throw a link up on that on our show notes, cause I thought that that was like. And, and that, that had a big news story in the middle of it as well. Uh, yes. That actually has a huge thing where Vince I was like, doing holy an original shit. Line? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I find I, that I, like genuinely, I don't know what this original line is going to look like. Right. I, like I talk like, and I I mean in every aspect. Like, is it going to be like manga format? By which you mean, is it going to read uh, left right or mm-hmm. you know uh, right left rather? You know, like you, it, you is it like what does what does a this original line look like? I'm so curious. Well, and for me, one of the things, uh, listeners from the previous. Uh, um, wait, what episode? Uh, I really, uh, please, if you haven't gotten a chance, go over, check out our show notes and especially our comments. Cause I thought that it, there was, there's been some excellent discussion in the comments about sort of jumping off from our discussion about, you know, essentially is Jeff tired of, you know, Western superhero comics 
and why doesn't he just stick to manga? And some really great discussions about, I think, you know, things that you and I touched about, touched on about, which for me, you mentioned the, the left to right format. For me, what's much more interesting is, you know, thanks to reading stuff like Bakuman and uh, even a monkey can draw manga and that uh, amazing book on manga by uh, Jojo's Bizarre Adventures guy. I can't even remember. I wish it was still right in front of me on the shelf. Uh, the thing that I really do respond to about manga is the idea that it it is heavily pre-vetted before it goes out. You know, the the script is submitted with thumbnails. The editor goes over the thumbnails, makes suggestions and changes and revisions in the script before it goes to the art stage. Uh, and, yeah, exactly. Is, is any of that format going to be followed for this right. line? And I would think, part of me is like, I would think so. Like, I kind of feel like if... Really? Because I automatically was like, I don't think so. Well, on the one hand, there's... The, I I think... What I find fascinating is is that if anyone's going to do it, it's going to be this Viz original line. Sure, sure. You know? I, I I agree with that. If anyone's going to do it, it's going to be them. And but but for me, I'm also like, but will any Western creators want to go through that level of oversight? Well, I think it really depends. Like part of me is like, as we know, the the life of a mangaka is is brutal, and I don't necessarily know. Again, this has been coming into place for apparently a very, very long time. And the fact that it was being talked about in the profile with Brothers and Brothers was still like, yeah, I can't say anything about it, makes me think like, well, you know, maybe. Because I think that there are pluses to that. Like, on the one hand, you're right, that sort of degree of scrutiny is rough, but... There's, I think there's a lot of creators, especially once you like people coming coming out of the schools or people who come up through web comics. I mean, I remember, God, I, don't, I wish I could remember who it was, but I remember a cartoonist who ended up in the Fanographics stable who was like, yeah, I I actually, uh, oh, you know who I think it was? It was um, Jessica Abel. I think was had said in an interview I you know she's like I really want an editor to kind of to bounce ideas off of and guide me and grow and maybe it wasn't Jessica because I don't think that she ever ended up doing anything for Fantagraphic so maybe I'm deeply wrong but someone was like and and Fanta is just hands off they're like no you can do it whatever you want to do like that's fine we're we're committed to publishing you but you know we're we would never deign to tell you like what you should or shouldn't do essentially you know yeah. Whereas I think other people are looking at the success of of manga and the satisfactions of it. I think there's a lot of pe- there's a lot of people who I think find that I think the idea of being able to have someone who can really help guide your discipline, you know, and but I think the the other plus, of course, is is that and then you end up owning the material you know, is is kind of a big deal. So Well again, part of me is like, are you going to end up putting this? 
Like, I, there's so many unknowns. Right? No, there really I are. Hear. Like, are they going to own the... Are the, If Viz owns the material, it's kind of like, what's the point? Like, what, what there's, is there's, the there's, there's, there's so much... There, yeah. Well, there's so much unknown. Yeah. Is it going... Like, where are the creators coming from? Right. Is it going to be original material created by Japanese creators for the American markets? Mm. Is it going to be American creators and it's going to be moved into the Japanese markets? Um... Who owns it? What right. format is it going to be in? Yep. Is there going to be the editorial structure that there is in the original Japanese work? Right. Like, all of this is unknown. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but nonetheless, Viz doing an original line is big fucking news. Oh, it's enormous news. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, the, it's very much the other folded thing in there. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing that's really funny about it is uh, in the story... Chris Butcher is essentially like, yeah, we're doing this. And then it cuts to Brothers, and Brothers is like, I can't talk about it. Yes. And reading that, I was like, Brothers is editing it. Yep. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that's, that's, that's like the most obvious thing. Yep. That it's, it's like, like, Butcher feels like he can talk about it because it's not his project. And then because the Brothers of Brothers is quite clearly the one who's in charge of it. And it's like, I can't say anything. I don't know anything. I'm nothing. Nope. Nothing. And you're yep. like, yeah, yeah, you're doing it. You're, right. you're in charge. Which, which again, uh, the other thing that's great about that profile is it really does, in the course of talking about um, Brothers and his 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 history with the comics industry, there's a lot of people who are talking about why he is a potentially the perfect choice for it in that regard. You know. Oh no! Exactly. Like if you look at Brothers' career path, mm-hmm. and I'm including his his. Journalism in there. Mm-hmm. Oh, very much so. Um, you like there is no one else mm-hmm. who has not only touched on so many different areas of comics, yes, but continually found community and formed community. Exactly. Well, exactly. Doing it. Yeah, I think I think Deb Aoki very much points at, is might be the person who toward the end mentions the way that Brothers has functioned as as a bridge between these very different communities and successfully and repeatedly. So he's very much like the perfect dude for that. Oh, exactly. Like it, it, like I would not be surprised to find out that like Viz hired him because they were always thinking about this Mm -hmm. and they're like, Oh, that dude, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, him, he'd be great for it because he will like that's that line is going to be there's no way even if that line is not a success even if that line like gets shuttered for political reasons or whatever yeah. there's no way that line is going to be dull right that's you know that's this, what I this think. is going to be this is going to be a line that years later people are going to be like holy shit that was amazing <laughs> yeah i i i had a i had a, a snarky um uh, do it comparison. do it bring it I, up i i was i was going to say well it'll be no shelly bond uh, vertigo line, but you know it'll be because because I I I told you I found the Minx primer right recently. No, I don't think that you told me that, but I know of course the Minx popped up on the Tumblr thanks to you. So I know it's it was because like I found the the like preview book for the second wave, and you look at it and you're like Jesus Christ, like they had everyone, mm-hmm. <laughs> like they really did. Mm-hmm. You're like oh yeah, look there there's Sophie Campbell, there there's Mariko Tamaki. Mm-hmm. You know, and you're just like, this is this is nuts. Like mm-hmm. the lineup of talent they had for these books, yeah. and they went like Jim. There's Jim Rugg. There's Cecil Castellucci. Yes, yeah, and, absolutely. And just like yeah, and then the, the the line folded in like a year and a half. Yeah, yeah, just such a heartbreaker. So so you know we we can we can make fun of of um, Shelley's vertical all we want, 
but she was right when it came to Minx. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> you don't think she was? No, I think that part of my problem is, is from what I can tell, um, Shelly was a great, had a great eye for talent, but for whatever reason, um, either tried to play too strong a hand in shaping the material or tried too much to have people, or maybe people just felt too hard to pitch toward her predilections. But I think, you know, I think part of the problem with the line is, is that I think that the, I just don't think that, I, I think that, um, Shelley had, you know, just had a great eye for material, but for, for people, but continued to basically have material that was interesting to her that was not in step with the marketplace. And I think, I think that is something that you see throughout her tenure at Vertigo for the most part. That's interesting. I, I, I'm not sure, I'm not sure I agree on Minx, mm-hmm. but everything you're saying, I'm like, well, yeah, that's, that's Black Crown. That's her IDW line. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. You know, where again, she has very interesting creators, but for, you know, for want of a better way of putting it, they're making Shelly Bond books. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's, that's the thing that sort of bothers me is do you, I always felt that there was Shelly Bond was creating Shelly Bond books in a way that if Karen Berger was creating Karen Berger books, she either had a more subtle or deft hand at that or she had a sort of wider palette that was able to to dovetail with um with the interests of the marketplace i guess i was going to say like it had a wider appreciation yeah i think so i think so um i've got to tell you uh karen berger won um hall of fame got mm. a hall of fame entrance mm-hmm. at the Eisners. The, the response to her in the room was fascinating. Interesting. Because everyone was just like, oh, we love you. <laughs> like, everyone, mm-hmm. everyone was just like, Karen Berger is a god. Mm-hmm. It was electric. Mm-hmm. And she was like the most humble fucking person. Yeah. And everyone was just like standing ovation for Karen Berger, and she's like, "Oh, I've got to thank so many people. Oh my god!" And everyone's like, "You're fucking Karen Berger." Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I I think in a way, I do think that Berger, because of course it, it sort of feels like a popular refrain that there's no Archie Goodwin in the business anymore. But I I think that I think that think that Berger's got very much that claim for being an editor with excellent taste and strong instincts that is also considered to be very um, humble and incredibly supportive and encouraging to talent. So so here's my question. Mm-hmm. Why aren't the Burger Brooks a bigger deal? Uh, honestly, because I think the Dark Horse is uh, moribund, I think. I think I think that Dark Horse, uh, un- unlike Karen Berger, I think that the Dark Horse is a um, sort of operating under a sort of uh, psychic shit ton of bad industry karma, um, where I think a lot of people who who 
are now in the position of of either tastemakers or influencers um, are just not interested in in promoting dark horse books, you know, because I think that they do not have the interest in um, it, part of it's the interest in supporting it. I I think that uh, I think that Richardson, him, Mike Richardson himself, is semi out out of touch like I think that he has a a pretty decent eye for um, talent I think or some rather I should say I think some of the editors at Dark Horse have a a pretty clear eye on talent although I think they tend to focus maybe a little heavily on artists over um, maybe writers but I just I just that I think that's why is I just I don't think I don't think people for the Anything outside of Mike Magnolia, I don't think that people pay attention to what Dark Horse is doing, and I feel like whatever Dark Horse tries to send out into the world kind of just falls with a big old kerplunk. Like, they had an announcement, didn't they? Or no, 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 it was someone else. Who's doing the... Shit, there's... Joss Whedon clearly needs like a new house because there's been so many deals that have been announced. Yeah, Joss Whedon tried to recently. He's doing a, a, a Doctor Horrible two right comic exactly. And is that through Dark Horse or is it through? Yep. Okay, yep. that's that's Dark Horse. But isn't there someone? Isn't there something else? Isn't there also another? Retru- it's not Firefly or no Firefly. Firefly's back through Boom. Through Boom, that's it. It's Firefly through Boom that I remember was kind of a right. There's a surprising one, and that's not even talking about whatever role uh, Whedon has through um, the Buffy reboot, which I think is just basically going to be check cashing. But even more, he sold a series to HBO, which is insane to me. That is like if there's insane because you don't understand why. Like HBO bought it, surely, oh, right? I do know why HBO bought it, but I I'm still kind of like shocked in the sense of what a fucking confluence of events. Like Joss Whedon, I think is one incredibly lucky motherfucker. I mean, hopefully you know the scuttlebutt and you can shoot this down. But here's another Jeff half-ass theory for you. I'm entirely convinced. Um, there was a, a lot of reportage about the idea that once each uh, once AT&T, you know, was able to successfully purchase Warner's, there was reports that... Like that's not going to get turned around any second, Jeff. Right, yeah, exactly. No, you, you saw that, like, the it's being appealed, right? No, I didn't see that. I did not see yeah. that. Yeah, okay. the, the government's appealing it. Wow, that would be amazing. Um, be it, Which but... is nuts. Like, it's nuts. The yeah. First of all, they're like, nope, and they think it's court, and the court's like, no, no, that's, this is fine. And the government's like, nope. Yeah. Yeah. We're gonna appeal. We're gonna which appeal. Which is insane to me. Yeah, it's yeah, pretty anyway. amazing. That being said, I don't know if it's gonna get turned around, unfortunately. But um, uh, so I read a report that was essentially the AT and T dude had a visit with HBO and more or less called them uh into a room and were like, "You guys have to step up your game," which everyone's like. We're fucking HBO. We are the game. What are you talking about? And the dude's like, no, we're, you're not delivering. Like, you are, you're really the only competitor to Netflix in the crucial streaming space. 
and the subscriber space, and you guys are successful, but we feel that you've, you're resting Could your be laurels. more successful. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so the idea that they want them to be more successful and pump out a lot more content, a lot more content, to me, I don't think that it's any surprise that that they had that talk and then Whedon series is announced. Cause I, I, I'm genuinely surprised they went with Whedon. Genuinely. I'm not, I'm not, cause I, cause I think that, I think that, I mean, I guess I am, honestly, because I mean, I'm I like, genuinely am, because it feels like it, people, it feels like whoever made that decision at HBO has literally, like, not watched television since, like, the 2000s. Because, like, Whedon's last two TV shows are Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Dollhouse. Yeah, but. And before it, that, Firefly. Right. Well, but, okay, but Firefly is actually a pretty decent example of, like, post-Firefly. Like, Firefly's short-lived, but, I mean, Whedon himself on paper is, like, he's a guy who went and directed one of the biggest superhero movies ever, you know? And he's got shows that have astonishing longevity Right at the time that AT&T is telling HBO, you have to up your content and you have to up your, essentially your ability to impact, uh, for lack of a better term, like the larger streaming atmosphere. Like it's not, they're not, AT&T is not really down with like HBO has managed to have tastemaker shows but if you look at the rumors for the ratings of something like girls which really did well, yeah, run it's, for it's, five yeah, like seasons hits are few and far between yeah but well but yeah. even the definition of of quote-unquote hits yeah you get the occasional you get game of thrones which is monstrous of course and then you get uh things like the sopranos I mean, you get westworld but i wonder what westworld you know where does right. Westworld really fall in that? Because I feel like it's much closer to Tastemaker than a legitimate hit. Exactly. I think so, too. You know? And they spent a ton of it. And they're like, look, no, no, look, this is this is going to pay off. And it's very much this idea of, like, HBO sort of runs itself a little bit like on the New Yorker model, where it's like, we have, we're talked about enough by the Tastemakers that we keep a strong base of subscribers you know, and that's important to us. And AT&T's like, that's not what we want for you guys anymore. And like I said, Whedon, on the, on the one hand, you're right. Whedon is not necessarily recent, you know, and uh, Dollhouse and Dollhouse was a, a thing. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., of course, I think is a whole nother issue. But I think I think they were like Whedon basically turning around and saying, no, I'm back. This is the thing that I'm going to do. And it's basically, you know, steampunk Buffy and Firefly crossed together. It's, it's no, you know what it is? It's his Dark Horse original comic that he announced a few years ago. Oh, really? Of course it is. Of course it is. No, he honestly announced a series called Twist, which was this concept. Wow. Twist never happened. And then all of a sudden he's got an HBO show that has exactly the same concept. Makes sense. You know, I think he thought, yeah, I've got, which makes sense. I, of course, part of me is like, that's not surprising. Hopefully he was really, it was a comic series that he was planning on bringing his A game to. But, you know, the fact that he was able to. 
Fuck knows, it never happened. Right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Well, I'm just saying, like, you know, Whedon's, Whedon's work in comics is really interesting because there's stuff that, there's stuff that's strong, there's stuff that's dashed off, um, and there's stuff that's sort of dashed off and strong and stuff that's just kind of bullshit, you know? So we'll really see there, but to me, that announcement was genuinely shocking genuinely shocking for HBO and I'm kind of fascinated to see kind of what else follows like well I, I've got to be honest because uh, I have heard exactly what you're talking about with with it with AT&T essentially being like so more yes what I I'm genuinely waiting for mm-hmm. is a content development deal between Vertigo and HBO interesting interesting uh, they're both owned by by uh, AT and T. You know, they're part of the same family. Uh, honestly, and and if I was if I was anybody, I mean, hell, it would. Not, who knows? Maybe there's a. I, I feel like all of a sudden I was doing Al Pacino. Who knows? Maybe you're thinking Brian K. Vaughn doing Why the Last Man for HBO. Who knows? You know, like that's know. the comic news we didn't talk about. Mm-hmm. Yes, because it Saga. came out after San Diego, and I was going to bring it up because it's big yeah. news. Big news. Yeah, that was one I was going to mention. Uh, okay, so let, let's talk about that. Let, yes. Let's go on to that now. Saga is going away, everyone. Yes, for at least a year. And it's interesting yeah. that it's mentioned as a year-long hiatus, I, but the announcement was at least a year. Yeah, it's really interesting that broke is year-long, and then he clearly says, like, at least. Like, yeah. it's not a year-long. It's going away for a while. Yep. Clearly. Yep. Yeah. Um, it's that's fucking fascinating. Yeah. Yep. And if you ask me, that only there's the only two explanations for that, as far as I'm concerned, are a Fiona Staples is either dangerously close to burning out or has some kind of uh, dangerously close to having some sort of health thing issue going on, or to me sort of similar Vervon, but I think far more likely is he is staring at a potentially really big, big deal that he knows it, he would have to spend a year to two years to get it up and running. And frankly, for me... Or or both. Right, or both. But, you know, and it kind of comes together at the same time. But it would not surprise me. Again, my money is, you know, clue-wise, is it's HBO with a big bag of cash in the conservatory. So, um, but, you know, we, we'll see. But just, just the fact that it's kind of shocking, and I find it really worrisome i think it's really really worrisome that i've I've got to be honest i think it's the end of saga i i think it probably is too and i think that that is terrible i think that's that's potentially terrible news now everyone should know that i am very firmly on a i hope we are wrong and i'm very heavily in my talking out my ass no idea and and being sort of my naysayer pants are on, but it's it's a big. You've heard, of course, people have heard me complain about the basically how Image I feel was 
kind of screwed over and the marketplace was negatively affected by the number of image creators who went in, started strong, started missing deadlines, tapered off. Now you hear about, you know, TV deals and in some cases DC deals, if you want to see where I'm sort of pointing some of my fingers at. The idea that Vaughn was one of the, was one of the biggest successes from that mm-hmm. sort that of school. Co- yeah. yeah, that school and had such a continuing success. I feel that sort of thing is very much built on the contract of he was definitely there saying like, we're not going anywhere. We've got our, our three month break built in every arc. But apart from that, that's so that we can keep going. So the idea that it's going to be that big a break, like part of me is like, okay, Vaughn, well, I think not it's, just that it's that big a break, but that it's a that big indefinite break. Yes. It's that it's, big it's a break. It's an indefinite yeah. break at least a year. Yeah. Honestly sounds like we don't know what we're actually doing next. Yeah. 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 Or I think that it, to me, it's kind of, again, you're right. It could be, we don't know what we're doing next. I think that there's something back there, but oh, it no, is... I, I, by, by which I mean, like, we don't know the future of the book. Oh, I see. Yeah. Like, I think we, so too. We individually are doing that. I think yeah. so. We don't know the future of the book. Yeah. And I, and that is, that's, I think that's a little bit of, well, and admittedly, I haven't read the issue, but considering this is. Oh, you, you don't, you don't know how it ends? No, I don't. I don't. It ends on probably their biggest cliffhanger yet. Right. Which, again... Because part of course it, it does. Right. It's, it's like Saga. It's Saga. But, exactly. Um, if exactly. it's the last issue, yeah, it's genuinely a terrible place to end. Well, and I suspect they can't or won't do that. Like... But I do see, in a way, like three years from now, Vaughn being like, yeah, we're going to return and we're going to do a an original graphic novel that's going to close everything up. Believe me, we're going to address the, everything. The rumor is there's 18 issues left. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. That's an amazing... Rumors, like, the rumors were rumor. really, really close to the end. Uh-huh. Interesting. Wow. I'm surprised that they would... Part of me, again, is like, Jesus, then just press through, for fuck's sake. Like... Because cause the idea of having that many issues in the bag of a series, uh, I mean, separate not, and apart from... Yeah, if, if you make it to 54 and you're like, okay, we've literally got like less than two years left, I'm not doing it. Yeah. But at the same time, like you said, like it also could literally be like they're exhausted. They can't. Sure, sure. I mean... It, he, here's here's what I'm really curious about. Mm-hmm. What happens to Paper Girls? Well, see, that's it. That's, that's again, like, we haven't heard any sort of announcement about Paper Girls. Uh, we don't Because necess- if Paper Girls keeps going, it mm-hmm. suggests that it is Fiona. Yeah, very much so. Very, very much so. And, and part of me is like, okay, that's, again, that sort of moves it into a very, very different realm because it is the, part of me is like, well, that really shows a respect for, the idea of this, this is a collaborative comic, and what do you do when one creator can't or won't continue for whatever reason? You know, it's, uh, you know, it's, it, we'll see. It, uh, for me, I'm actually just genuinely worried. Part of me really does hope, which I, I think I tweeted, you know, part of me does hope that they can figure out very low 
key ways to keep the books awareness in the marketplace. Um, I don't know. There's no way they can have that much easy material stockpiled, but um, just because, I mean, it, if, even if the book, let's say the book comes back after two years, like Saga regularly sells, I'm, I'm not paying attention, but isn't it still managing to sell in the 40,000 copies range? Or? I, I honestly have no idea. Okay. Um, you know, I can, I can see them significantly reducing that marketplace, which means it really slows the trade sales. Like it's, it's, it's a significant blow for the direct marketplace that has, for lack of a better term, invested in um, that material, you know, is in, has invested in the book and and really makes a strong amount of money. I mean, as you know, Saga is a huge seller at Comics Experience here in San Francisco. Um, and part of me is sort of like, yeah, I, I wish that I managed to make it into Comics Experience the other night to ask Hibbs what the hell he thinks, because I think that that, you know, that's like one of his you know, geese with the golden eggs that is going yeah, that, away that's for like a year. Yeah, that's like one of his perpetual biggest seller, biggest selling books. Exactly, and it's not just he the the monthly sales, the sales of the monthly. It's very much in the trades, and that's unlikely to continue to maintain its velocity. You know, well that's just it. Like if the book stops, mm-hmm. like even if the book stops for a couple of years and comes back, yeah. That that's that, a that's a potential killer in and of its own. And if it yeah. doesn't come back, then they're then it's like then it's then it's dead. It's literally yeah. dead because yeah. it's a story that never finishes. Yep. Well, and and it really does risk alienating a lot of readers who have invested in it. You know, the people who like bought the trade, but also bought the trades to give to friends. And it's mm-hmm. like it's kind of like well, that's kind of a huge. You know, it's sort of on par with that kind of anxiety that George R. R. Martin fans feel, you know, about the Game of Thrones novels is like, you know, they're like, you gotta finish this fucking thing, like, you've you've got to, like, I have pinned a lot of time and energy and emotional investment in a story that you kind of have to finish, you know, and Martin's like, do I? I mean, he doesn't put it like that, he's like, no, no, I'm doing it, I'm doing it, and Neil Gaiman's like, but does he? You know, so thanks, Neil. Is that what Neil Gaiman says? Yeah, he does. Well, he he he. It was the infamous what George R. R. Martin is not your bitch. It's not your bitch. Yeah. Yes, yes. Thank you, Neil. From from the from the uh, upcoming producer of American Gods. Uh, and rumored, isn't he like the? No, sorry, uh, Good Omen. Good Omen. But yeah. he is the. There were rumors there for a while that he might be taking over as showrunner for American Gods, which I don't think that's, is going to happen. That's not going to happen. Yeah, no, that that was definitely a theory that was floated by executives who were like, "Oh shit, Brian Fuller, shit, what did you do to us? Fuck, fuck, fuck." You know, don't worry, people, we're going to get. What? One of my favorite conversations at Comic-Con was with other people, other uh, culture journalists. And the subject of the conversation is like, why does Brian Fuller just keep walking off shows? Right? 
Yes. Like, what is actually going on? And genuinely, what we came up with is, because he can. <laughs> because there's always going to be another project. Well, so literally, all anyone, anyone's like, nope. You could be like, screw you. I've got another prestige format television series that I can walk on to right now. Which, but that really is just, I don't know. I mean, it is a little bit of the... Like, You've done that like four times. No, I know, and that's why I'm kind of like it's a little bit of the the frog and the scorpion, where I'm like, I'm 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 not offering Brian Fuller a ride across this river, you know? Like you can figure out some other way to get across here, Brian. Sorry. I, I do I do wonder when people are going to stop like basically falling for it. Yeah, you know, yeah. like when the first network or cable company or whatever is going to be like, wait, I've just remembered you quit everything three months in. Yeah, exactly. I don't really see why we would be willing to do this, you know. Why are we going is... to give you millions of dollars for yeah. something you are going to quit three months in? Yeah, you, you're you even quitting, you know, prestige cable shows where there's minimal amounts of inter- interference. Like, it's just, you've well, got... Well, but then, like, you heard, you heard all the, the American God stuff, right? No, no, none of it. Oh, the short version was, like, he's, like, he's, he's doing... Something that if you were like, I'm going to invent the story of like the worst showrunner ever for a TV show that's really expensive, you would you would create what he was apparently doing. Really? Which was essentially like, you know, they have set up like, you know, we're on location in New Orleans and we've got all the cast out here. And he'd be like, I've changed my mind. We should be this other place and we should do it in two days. No. And like, and like you're like, no, we can't. Like, we're all here. Oh, God. And he'd be like, no, no, but it doesn't work anymore. <laughs> like, people would have to talk him down and be like, no. We actually, like, we're all here now. We right. have to do this. Right. Logistically. Yeah, apparently, apparently, apparently he's like, he's li- he's literally just, and again, this is all secondhand. Right. This could be wrong. Mm-hmm. But the but the scuttlebutt was, he was really given to, you know, my genius is telling me we should do this. <laughs> And the executives were like, but we've literally everyone here. <laughs> and he'd be like, yeah, but no, this is all wrong now. And, 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 who was it? Was Showtime? Did American Gods? Yes, or Stars. Oh, I forget. Stars. Yeah. Um, were apparently like, but no. <laughs> you know, and budgets were like, you know, episodes were like four million over budget. Right. Which again, it's fucking stars. It's not HBO. Those poor dudes are kind of like, uh, I'm not real. Honestly, no one can really figure out where Stars gets their money from. But it, they're they're kind of like, hey, we're gonna have to pay you in ham sandwiches this week. I hope that's not a problem. Like, like you're no, don't go worry. You're getting exactly the same dollar amount, but in a ham sandwich based economy. Yeah. So exactly, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. That that's like that. That was definitely the rumors that were going around. Um, but it's also like you know you hear that and you're like why would anyone hire Brian Fuller? Well, yeah, seriously. Like, what, what? But it's honestly like his name. Right. Everyone wants another Hannibal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And before that, everyone wanted another Pushing Daisies. You know, and I think there was. I mean, of course, he's like walked off Star Trek and American mm-hmm. Gods. And wasn't there another one God. in between Hannibal and Pushing Daisies? He's, he, uh, I honestly don't remember. He's, but he walked off like Amazing Stories, which even got started. Like wow. that was his project, and he walked off it. 
Uh, like he, there, there's at least one other of these. Uh, the Adams family. Oh really? Oh wow, wow. Yeah. Like he, no, not the Adams family. The monsters. Oh, I was okay. Mix up the monsters. Um, yeah, there's just like all these projects. He's like, you know, it's my dream gig. Cut to a month later, I'm leaving. <laughs> the you know, dream like, is done. <laughs> right? Um, I was totally going to tell you something there, and it's completely gone. Nope, it's 100% gone. Okay, well, if it comes back, and I suspect it might, because last time I was like, Graham, do we have do we have comic books that we actually want to talk about as we oh shit it is it's we're now, we're like we're over the two hour mark are we just not going to be able to actually talk about comics we read which is fine should we move into the no I I don't think we are I don't think we are because it's we're in hour two yeah yeah I think so and and believe me we nor I cannot of I cannot for various reasons for various obligations I can't uh, normally as listeners know I just refuse to uh, I'm like the Brian K F- the Brian Fuller of the uh, the podcasting set where I just ignore all of Graham's begging and pleading for like reasonable show times and ramble on until weirdly he's you're, fine you're, but then I start the one, weeping about you're it. the one who said you wanted a quiet a short episode this no week. I know but yep I want to point out. We actually do have to do a short episode because you you literally don't have time to edit this this no, week. No, 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 no. This 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 weekend is it's going to be fun, but it's also going to be kind of nightmarish, especially when it comes time to trying to edit this son of a bitch. So, what, Graham? Why don't you start? Why don't you start leading us out? This is where I tell you, everyone, that there will be show notes to this episode on waitwhatpodcast.com. That we have an Instagram feed at instagram.com forward slash waitwhatpod. That we have a Tumblr, waitwhatpods.tumblr.com. And that we have a Twitter account at waitwhatpodcast. Jeffrey Lester, my esteemed co-host, has his own Twitter account at lazybastid at L-A-Z-Y-B-A-S-T-I-D. Go there now. See what his name is because he keeps changing his name on Twitter and it's really, really funny to me. I have a Twitter account at Graham M. I don't change my name. G-R-A-E-M-E-M is how you spell Graham M. And we are also a Patreon-supported podcast. When I say Patreon, Jeff says... Hello, everyone. My name's Jeff Lester, and you're listening to... Wait, what? Oh, no, wait, that's not right. That's actually what I end up saying. No, no, that, that's, no that's exactly what you say. I, I feel like when you're like, hello, everyone, I'm Jeff Lester, there should be like a round of applause. <laughs> <laughs> like an applause noise when that happens. <laughs> 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 Um, yeah, so, uh, we, we're, we are so grateful f- that you guys continue to listen to us. Um, it continues to keep us happy and inspired and, and digging into some amazing comics. Like next time we have a wait what podcast episode, I'm going to tell you about this story that I read in the world's finest silver age omnibus because it is <gasps> honestly Genius. Should, should I should I check that out? Like that's a hoopla book, right? Yeah, it's a hoopla book, and you should, because to me, as far as I'm concerned, just the the first story, which is uh from Superman seventy six from nineteen fifty two, which is apparently the first official uh meeting be- team up between Superman and Batman, is oh, is that the one on the boat? Yes. It's oh, the one. It's so good. It's the best. I love that so much. 
Um, and okay. So I, uh, Jeff, Jeff, I have, to, I have to tell you now. Joe Kelly did a, a reversion, a retelling of that. Oh yeah, with Deathstroke and or the faux, the, the faux Deadpool yes. character. Yeah. Now that you've read, now that you've read the original, you have to read Joe Kelly's version <sighs> because it is, I shit you not, a parody of it mm-hmm. that is also full of New Teen Titans jokes. Oh, that sounds fabulous. I, I mean, I do remember reading that and loving it at the time, but the, the, this one is in itself fucking awesome. I just cannot, I love how insane Superman is in, in this episode, in this issue. I adore it so fucking much. It's the best. Oh my god, and Batman is uh anyway, we'll have to talk about it next time, listeners. Please tune in. And um by listeners I mean all of our fine listeners, but I uh should mention that we have some uh super awesome people over at Patreon who uh throw us a little bit of the old cosmic coin or the Yang as it's known, and uh uh to to help um I don't know, keep us motivated, help us hit some of our, uh, our threshold goals, which, um, uh, those of you who listen to the Baxter building may be aware is, in, exists entirely thanks to the generosity of our patrons. Um, seriously, everyone is great. We need to give, uh, shout outs to the kind crew at American Ninth Art Studios, as well as Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy, for their continuing support of this podcast. And of this, uh, this, this region of the galactic nethers, as it were. Graham? Ew, galactic nethers. <laughs> I knew you would not like galactic nethers. What, what is really? Wait till Scott really Snyder breaks it out in a Justice League issue. Then you'll be like, eh, I still don't like it, but I gotta say. What is really, what something. is really funny is, uh, yesterday, for no reason whatsoever, I watched a compilation of the end of the episodes of the day today, the, the Chris Mars show, where he goes through the, the next day's newspapers, and they're all ridiculous headlines. Uh-huh. And you were like, over to you, Graham. I honestly was like, and now time for the headlines? <laughs> I'm just like, I don't know why. I almost just went straight into it. Ah, <laughs> uh, oh well. Well, there is. Has Dark Side, is he? four-page pull-out section on the ruler of apocalypse there. <laughs> that sounds fabulous. <laughs> sounds fabulous, Grant. USA Today, at least. Blah, 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 blah. Um, yes, uh, we will be back in an uncertain amount of time because Jeff and I haven't scheduled yet. Are we back next week? I think we're back next week. I think we are. Yeah. Yep. We're back next week and uh, in... With th- a regular week, what? It's still not a Baxter building. That's right. That's right. So, so next week we'll talk about World's Finest. Oh my god, I can't wait. I can't wait. Uh, next week we will talk about World's Finest because they're, they're really fun stories. They really are. I was so excited to like download that book and dig in and I just hit one or two stories a night and it just makes me happy. It really does. So. So yes, that's next week, everyone. Mm-hmm. Congratulations, everyone. We will be doing it next week. It'll be very exciting. And again, uh, if you have nope. Hoopla, Download it yourself. Yeah, start you, reading can, and... you, can, you can read along. Yeah. yeah, Hoopla. We cannot say enough good things about it. Hoopla we... is, is where we all want to be. Everyone. Hoopla yep. makes everyone happy. Uh, <laughs> it is a free service. One more time. If your library has Hoopla, it is a free service, and it is not uh, the regular type of, of uh, like digital borrowing. Like anyone, Jeff has borrowed this book, but I can borrow this book as well. Like there's no limit. Yeah. 
Yep. So theoretically, if you have Hoopla, all of you can borrow this. This world's you should have access to this volume, and you should download it, and you will love it. So. That's your homework for the next month. That's right. We're giving you homework now. That's what we do. God, it's just—it's just the way it is. We will be back in a week. Until then, bye. Genius. Oh my God. Uh, homework. <laughs> <laughs>